All right, so hello everybody. It's Tuesday. It's 6 p.m. just after 6, and we are ready to continue our awesome Fire and Blood streams. Going through new material is one of the most fun things about this fandom. Uh, we have so much fun, even when there isn't new material, so it stands to reason that when we do have to, new material, it's just like gangbusters. So, yeah, super exciting. We've been having great fun with these. Last time we discussed, among other things, the Targaryen exceptionalism. In uh, this episode, we discuss something that tests that notion somewhat. This particular pair of diseases that are the title of our episode, the Shivers and the Winter Fever, do some foreshadowing, at the very least, and also tell stories of their own as to what we might be expecting in A Song of Ice and Fire with regards to winter and the onset of potential diseases. And these diseases are peculiar because they don't necessarily behave exactly like normal diseases. There's some reason to suspect that they might be magical or, well, we'll be getting into the other uh, answers to well and how that might go. Uh, there's a lot to say about that, so let's uh, get do some introductions and get it all underway. Uh, my name is Aziz, if you didn't know, and with me off to the side is Ashea. She is running production, as always. Sometimes she's on camera, sometimes she's behind it. Today is one of the behind-the-camera days. She is also monitoring the chat. You may feel free to send a question. Super chats are a little easier for us to spot, but you do not uh, don't feel obligated. Let's see. I'm wearing a, uh, an awesome shirt today. It says House Beard. It says We Do Not Shave. And this came from Stark Reminders, StarkReminders.com. Also, Stark Reminders on Instagram. And I believe there's a photo on my Instagram account of me and Sean, uh, who, of course, also got a House Beard shirt. That would have been a travesty to send one to me and not to him, right? So, yeah, follow me. You can follow me on Instagram at, at AzizelFretz, A-Z-I-Z-A-L-F-R-E-T-S, to see any uh, to see that photo. And a couple other cool things. I post a couple other fun Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire things on there from time to time. So let's introduce our guests. One of them appears to be running a bit late. We knew that uh, going in, but that's okay. We'll give him time to get here. But our other guest is here, and we will let him introduce himself while we uh, get started here. So Robert of Indeep Geek, your first appearance on the show. It's awesome to have you here. I have been on your show. We've had some great discussions, so we're looking to do the same over here. Please tell us. Uh, everybody here, where to find you and what you've been up to and uh, all that. Hi, uh, thank you so much. It has been an absolute honor to come on here, I have to say. Um, I know you've just said that you've come on my channel a few times and uh, it's been one of the uh, ever-presence in the community, uh, uh, Westeros history, history of Westeros, and I am deeply honored to be here uh, and really excited uh, about the chat that we've got coming up. For those who don't know me, my channel is In Deep Geek. You can find me in all the normal places on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and so on. But if you look on YouTube, then you'll find in deep geek i cover game of thrones and a song of ice and fire as well as a few other uh, high quality tv shows that i like things like westworld i'm thinking i might get into black mirror uh, the other side of season eight as well uh, what i try and do as well as hopefully provide a little bit of insight is try and get debate so uh, i have live streams every thursday uh, where i have uh, intelligent informed guests like aziz and indeed uh, matt who will be on in a moment uh, just to chat through some of the issues 
that's my first channel. My second channel, as I've got a little bit of time uh, and was invited to plug both. Uh, yep. My second <laughs> channel is called The Well-Told Tale. And this is a bit of a passion project for me. Uh, again, you can find it on uh, YouTube. Hopefully at some point we'll turn it into a podcast too. But it's basically an audio narration channel. It is me doing long-form reading of what I consider to be the finest science fiction and fantasy stories ever written. So we started off with things like Frankenstein, we've done War of the Worlds, we've got some Lovecraft coming up, we did some Conan. At the moment, uh, we're, we're right in the middle of doing uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and it fantastic stories. So if that at all appeals to you, uh, it's every Wednesday. Go and have a look for The Well-Told Tale. We just got a super chat from, uh, we've got a couple so far, but one that's particularly relevant from Kyle Lachico, who says, those who don't know me, who in the fandom doesn't love in Deep Geek, he says, thanks for being awesome, Robert. So right away. Very kind. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, we also got a couple of super chats, uh, one from Thomas Pappas, aka Ham Helmuth, excited for the episode and lineup. Shea is the best and Aziz is my hero. Well, thank you very much. Couldn't, uh, couldn't have finer praise than that. Very much appreciate it. Also from Marvin Martin, why wait until Daenerys gets sick to look for a hatchling? Why not put eggs or hatchlings in the cradle, especially afterwards? Yeah, well, that's absolutely a topic we're going to be covering this episode uh, a little bit later in the episode. But yes, we're going to talk about that very specifically. Very good question. Uh, since our other guest isn't here, I'm going to dip into a few other questions we've gotten from ahead, uh, from ahead of the channel or ahead of the stream. Rather, as always, you can send questions in ahead of time. Uh, if you know, uh, if you can't make the stream, or even if you're gonna, you can send questions in ahead. Gives us a little bit more time to consider the question, which is nice. But of course, we take questions live as well. Question from Joe Anderson: Are the two diseases selective in who they affect? Could this give us a clue to their origin? Do you think they are manufactured diseases created for a purpose, or are they an unintended side effect of the dark magic experiments messing with human genetics? Now, that is also a question that we're not going to just tackle right away. It's something we're going to answer throughout because this is a very comprehensive question. It's actually several questions. And every single one of those is something that we do intend to answer throughout this episode as best as possible. So if we don't uh, cover any part of that, feel free to let us know. Uh, Rodney Carrico asks, how do we think that these winter diseases will play into A Song of Ice and Fire? The diseases we know like Grayscale and the Pale Mare. Also something we're absolutely going to cover this episode. Very good question, because I think there is some evidence, particularly with Grayscale, the Pale Mare is a little trickier, that Grayscale is uh, magical in origin, which means it may not function like a regular disease, which gives, uh, yeah. So that's definitely something we're going to cover as well. Uh, Paul Barry asks, looking forward to your takes on Targaryens, why some seem to never get diseases, others do. What do we think is going on there? Are only some truly exceptional? Again, Great question, but also something we're going to answer during the episode throughout. It's kind of a broad question. Mostly I'm re relaying all these kind of broader questions for you guys so you know what we're going to tackle during this episode. As I said earlier, I think last week, I said that each week we're going to try to get a, we're trying to get a little bit better handle on Fire and Blood. Each week we try to nail it down a little better, and that m should show in being a little bit more organized with the information uh, because beginning of this, we were just running over all the time. I would name five or six different things we were going to talk about, and we'd only talk about three of them. So th th that should get a little smoother as we go forward. And last question that we got ahead of time was from Josh Wan. I don't want to sound stupid, but I know you've had the idea that Grayscale is going to become a real issue in Winds of Winter for a little while now. Could you expand on that more? 
What exactly makes you think that from both the Song of Ice and Fire and Fire and Blood? Uh, since we're still waiting on our other guests, I think that's a fine place to start because it is a good sort of setup question, laying the groundwork for the questions of these bigger diseases. So, Robert, let me kick that over to you. Uh, we can start with that and um, I can add to your answer if need be. We have the question again is, what do you think is going to happen with regards to grayscale kind of foreshadowing we've seen both in the north from Shireen potentially and in the south from John Connington a little bit more um, flagrantly in Connington's case. But yeah, go ahead. Take it away, Robert. Tell us what you think. Well, uh, just to draw out the, I well, agree actually with, with what you drew out earlier about the difference between that and things like uh, the, 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 the shivers and, and the things that the, the, the uh, the pale mare that, that we see, they're, they're very different. And I completely agree that grayscale is the more magical one. So there's something going on there. Now, also what that does is it seems to be a lot more targeted on individual. I'm talking sort of thematically here. That seems to be targeted a lot more on individuals within the plot. Whereas things, whereas when you get things like the pale mare, that is sweeping across cities. And yes, it may hit individuals, but it is, uh, it, it is about affecting entire cities and, and civilizations. So where I see thematically at least um, grayscale going is affecting specific individuals. We've got two already, um, but where it will play out, and I'd be very interested in your thoughts on this, Aziz, because I know that you've done probably quite a bit more study on this than I have, is, is it the interaction between that and uh, the Valyrian magic, which it is in Genesis in a way, a kind of an antithesis or potential antithesis. And so that is the, the, the thing that I could possibly see playing out there, is it being held up as a way of fighting against Valyrian magic in a way. And I, the reason why I highlight that is because so much of the show gets us into the mindset of thinking this is all about the ice and what can we use to combat the ice mm. in the books. And George quite often sort of reminds us this is about two equal and opposite forces that can each threaten the destruction of the whole world. So we need to be thinking about things as well, which can be the equivalent of dragon glass against against fire. So that's my sort of thematic overview of, of what's going on. But I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts. That's I, I, that's a great take. And it's really important to think of it on those lines, because like you said, yeah, these are diseases and they're supposed to have like biology and, and vec disease vectors and things like that. But it's still a story being written by a person and he's trying to do it in a certain way to tell it in a certain way. And so the, the patterns there matter almost as much or more depending on, you know, depending here and there on, on certain details than, you know, like the, the nitty gritty of how diseases quote unquote work. And when they're magical diseases, we don't really even know how they work. So that's, that's, that's not necessarily an answer we could, we could get to in the first place. But yeah, um, as far as my take, I do see a lot of reason to think that disease is going to be really big in A Song of Ice and Fire. For one thing, besides grayscale and the pale mare, we have the notion that hunger, starvation, cold, all those things make your immune system weaker. And we, with the long night coming, that is probably going to be a thing. Your body needs more food when it's cold because you're burning, you know, your body heat. You got to stay warm and you burn through your natural, you know, internal resources faster in the cold. And that makes you more susceptible to disease. Uh, your immune system gets weaker. So I think, so that's just a 
very basic reason why I think this is going to happen. But more, but more importantly, it's just been foreshadowed, like like grayscale, like like the pale mare, and like uh, what's said in Fire and Blood. Fire and Blood is to a lot of us, we see Fire and Blood as a a way for George to work through some of the ideas while also creating world building. We're also kind of expanding the setting. And so he works through some of these concepts in a historical setting so that when he puts them in the modern real story, quote unquote real story, he knows he's, he's kind of already done it once and it's, uh, it's a little easier. It's a little smoother. Kind of like how Fire and Blood is this much smoother book than The World of Ice and Fire because he's already he kind of had done it already. So straight up in Fire and Blood, we're told that the tar we're, we're given much more direct information on this targaryen disease resistance we are told straight up that no targaryens before jaehaerys and alisan got well there's this long list of diseases that they none of them had ever gotten and that's a lot more straightforward than anything we had ever heard before before it was like yeah targaryens are immune to some diseases probably danny hears this from viserys which viserys isn't the most trustworthy guy but daenerys is you know, some of the things that she's had happen to her and how the pale mare didn't get her, things like that. It kind of, it lends some credibility to that, but it's, that's far from proof. But now we have maesters just straight up saying, yeah, the Targaryens don't get worm bone or red rot or whatever, all these weird, colorful name diseases, brown leg. Oh, that one's gross. Um, all these strange diseases that just the Targaryens not once did any of them ever get. And that is just really strong. And then we get this line that they have the the fire in their blood burns out the diseases. I'm paraphrasing, but uh, that's it's a really important line. So I think that they both, Fire and Blood both nails down the concept of Targaryen disease resistance and shows that it's not, uh, that there are exceptions to that. Exceptions to the exceptionalism. <laughs> so as it were. Okay. Yeah, I would just add, sorry, just to no, add go ahead, on that yeah. one. I wouldn't, uh, my take on Fire and Blood is, although I would agree that this, this does sort of narrow down the possibilities, we mustn't take it as being the absolute truth on these things because it is written with an agenda. Uh, and, and Archmaster Gildane is also not an entirely reliable narrator. So I, I think that what, what may well be the case is that there are a number of things that, uh, the incredibly privileged and rich and well-fed Targaryens didn't succumb to, and that might be, may well be the case for an awful lot of other very rich and privileged people. But uh, there is, on top of that, there is something magical going on, seems to be the case, but it is not 100%, as we'll come on to in a little bit, in, in, I'm sure, in this video. Yeah, you, and uh, one thing I want to refer to directly that you just mentioned was the the rich and powerful and the diseases. That's something that's really well spelled out in Fire and Blood, because it's particularly the winter fever, but also the shivers, we get... He just goes through and lists very specific lords that died, and, and it's a long list. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like one of his descriptions of dinner where he goes through the details very thoroughly so you have this all these different important high lords are dying off and i'm like boy we're gonna get something like this in the winds of winter or maybe dream of spring when people are just dying in droves of starvation or cold or or disease or all three all the above and uh yeah that's that's gonna be something so that really felt like foreshadowing uh but yeah we'll get into more detail as we go it looks like our uh our, our guest is almost here i see him in the document so i'll do some uh, i'll do all the rest of our intro spiel while he gets loaded up i'll say hey to our patrons uh thanks to jeff gnarly the long snapper history of westeros's first sword 
Also, our Dragon Rider patrons, that includes Telenis the Talon, King of Gagasos, Rider of Telerius, the Red Dragon with scales, horns, and talons of Midnight Black, and Robert IV of House Argeacor, Burned King of Blazewater Bay, Rider of Atroxus, the Black Dragon with bioluminescent spots like smoldering embers and a banded blue tail. We have our Gagasos episode out now. It is for patrons only. We do about one patrons-only episode a year, and this is what it was this time. So now we have three patrons-only episodes. If you sign up for Patreon, even at the $1 level, you get all three of those episodes. And you can, if you don't want to sign up for Patreon, you can get those episodes by sending a regular donation, too. So you can get, we'll send all three of them to you if you go to historyofwestworld.com and use the donate button to donate through PayPal. Speaking of the Gagazas episode, I went through, at the end of that episode, and read all the People who have a patron uh, name, uh, I read all of them, and it took over 25 minutes. And that was fun to read, but uh, the side effect was – the good positive side effect of that was that I read, a f- uh, found out that a few names were missing. And so I'm going to give shout- make-up shout-outs to people who uh, didn't have their name shouted out in that episode. That includes Codfish the Steelbender, a fantastic name, and Lord Fabian Kester, the Bastard of Greenshield, our brand-new Master of Coin. And I didn't forget him as Master of Coin. It's just he's just now our Master of Coin. Uh, okay, so, oh, I see another Super Chat. Ah, super Chat. That's not the right word. But before that, let's introduce our new guest who is here. He had to fight the evils of uh, rural uh, urban living, meaning traffic, <laughs> which I think all of us can sympathize. Just about all of us can sympathize with having to get stuck in traffic here and there. So, hello. Welcome to History of Westeros. Welcome back, Joe Magician. Good to have you. Thanks for having me, you guys. Uh, yeah, you know the saying, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to, except when there's traffic. There's a little <laughs> addendum that they always forget right at the end there. That is the full saying, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they just, they just cut right before that part. It's really what, uh, he's a forward thinker, that Gandalf. So, <laughs> yes. Hello, everybody. I am Matt, also known as Joe Magician from my YouTube channel, Joe Magician, and the uh, I am a feature writer for Watchers on the Wall, and a moderator and co-host for Maester Monthly and the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. And this is not something I expected I would be talking about coming out of Fire and Blood, but it's actually a surprisingly good topic, and one that I always thought was kind of like a throwaway thing, like with the Pale Mare and stuff like that, but it appears George has much more of an interest in biological vectors of attack and diseases than I really thought. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. One of the things we'll try to get at is maybe how he plans on this affecting the narrative. Because it's one, it's one thing for us to predict this is going to happen, but how it's going to play out and what the point of it all is, how, who it's going to affect, that's something I don't, I don't have great guesses for. I'm more, I have strong opinions on whether, you know, whether it's going to happen and stuff like that, but the how, mm, that's a little trickier. Here's a couple <laughs> of messages from, uh, some super chatters here from Rebecca Bellock, a.k.a. Rebecca Lady of Waves. She says, Timber me shivers. I like it. Good one. <laughs> we always appreciate good puns around here. Wordplay. And Seth Wilkins with uh, a rather odd question, but I'll, I'll sp- <laughs> all of us will answer it. His question is, what is your favorite vegetable? <laughs> okay. Uh, mine? Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll say... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm partial to artichokes and I've been eating a lot of Brussels sprouts. <laughs> if coffee beans are a vegetable, then that's, that's what I pick. What about you, uh, Joe Magician? What is your favorite vegetable? 
Oh, this is an easy one for me. I inhale these things. I love them. Carrots. Oh, Carrots cool. are by far my favorite vegetable. Okay, that's good. I like that. What about you, Robert? Well, I mean, I'm probably channeling my inner Samwise, but potatoes. You can do anything oh, with them. Okay, that bacon, works. Bacon, mash them, stick them <laughs> in a stew. Uh, or, or the humble leek. I'm a big fan of the humble leek, I have to say. I was I was really just trying hard to think of someone in A Song of Ice and Fire who's in a coma right now. I could say they're my favorite vegetable, but... Brand. Brand. <laughs> Ashea, oh, yeah, that's mean. Ashea, what's your favorite vegetable? Said bran. Oh, she said bran. <laughs> oh, she okay. So she beat me to it with that joke. Apparently, okay. I'm disappointed <laughs> in you, Ashea. <laughs> okay. Well, I would also be potato. Real. Okay. Yeah, she's saying potato. All right. She two votes for potato. Potato wins. Okay. We're getting all. We're we're showing our Irish loyalty around here. All right. Well, let's get going. We've had uh, some good good oh, intro questions and some good. Uh, banter as we as we call it let's get into the meat of it let's start with the shivers it comes before the winter fever and uh well actually let's back up slightly we got that one question that was about why we expect disease to be big and maybe what foreshadowing we see in terms of grayscale and things like that robert and i answered that question but matt would you want to weigh in a little bit on what you maybe some basic predictions either plot wise or literary wise for grayscale and why you think or don't think it will be a big deal uh sure i i didn't hear your guys answers don't look at your phones and drive people okay <laughs> i stayed Good. safe and pure for all of you you do the same <laughs> but um as for where this is probably going to come up um i think i caught the end of your answer just as i was running into my apartment and it was about um how disease is usually worse during times of famine because you do need um, you need a lot of vitamins. You need a lot of calories in order to fight off diseases. That's what fevers are. They're causing your body to heat up quite a lot, and they're burning through a lot of energy to do it. And if you don't have much, and let's say you only have moldy old bread and frozen beef jerky that's been there for two years, you're not really going to get a lot of that. So you should expect disease outbreaks. And winter itself is generally the time when you see these kind of diseases go up because of a lot of people have the misconception that you get diseases when you go outside because it's cold. It's actually because people stay inside more during the winter. And so they end up bundled up with each other. They have a lot of blankets. They don't wash that kind of things. So you end up with a lot more sickness that way. So as people go inside with less food, they're more susceptible. So as we go into the winds of winter with the others bringing it down on the north, you should expect to see random diseases that they normally would fight off break out. And in the South, we have a uh, grayscale and John Connington, the looming Chekhov's grayscale, just sitting there waiting to go into King's Landing. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point. King's Landing, it seems like uh, young Griff is going to make a beeline. He's going to probably win his battles. Maybe he'll have some setbacks, but it looks like he's going to have a lot of success and then he'll be positioned to just, yeah, spread that disease in the most populous spot that's also a huge port where it can go spread to other places. So, yeah, I totally agree. And to add on to that, I'll say, too, that I think um, Val's reaction to Shireen, uh, where Val is kind of laid back a lot of times and she's just, you know, she she laughs at, at uh, the notion of kneeling before the queen, all the stuff. She just really has a sense of humor about a lot of things. And But when it comes to grayscale, she takes it really seriously and calls Shireen a dead girl. So I think there it could be a north and south kind of outbreak. Yeah, there may have been an outbreak north of the wall and nobody knew about it because north of the wall. Good point. Well, if, if, we're, if we're on the 
the subject of uh, diseases coming in through the ports, I would just point out that we've got a port city that has currently got a huge outbreak of the bloody flux. Mm. And as far as we can tell, at some point in the nearish future, a huge fleet is going to set off from there and land in Westeros. So if we're looking for an overseas disease to be coming over to Westeros, then we should be looking at stuff coming from Marine and the Pale Mare arriving in the south of Westeros, perhaps dropping off at Dragonstone or or indeed King's Landing. That, that for me, is the most likely entry route for a, a, a disease given or if we assume that what we see in Fire and Blood is some kind of, uh, is some kind of foreshadowing. There's going to be a lot of death in the Winds of Winter, isn't there? Just a lot. <laughs> I mean, geez, a lot. Okay, here's a perfect Super Chat follow-up question to that. It relates very strongly to what we were just talking about. Seth Wilkins, do you think a new disease will show up in the Winds of Winter, or do you think there will be an outbreak of a known disease we saw in Fire and Blood? Mm, well, the Shivers, I think there's some... I think the shivers might come or something like it, but I don't, I think mostly we're going to see the disease we've already seen. And of course, as, as uh, Matt said, and as I said as well, the, the, the whole thing about immune systems getting weaker, we might just see common diseases becoming more widespread. Uh, an actual new disease that hasn't been named yet, probably not, but I think we might see, we might see the shivers or the winter fever because, hey, why not? There, the winter fever, it's such a, like, is there a more Song of Ice and Fire name <laughs> than the Winter Fever? Like, that just really nails both ends of it, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, ice and fire as a disease. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, like, so straightforward. I love it. Um, so, yeah. what Do you, do you guys have a uh, different take on that, or, or do you see it kind of similarly? Um, uh, again, the question was, is there a new disease or just a, maybe a reoccurrence of uh, the ones we've heard about already? I go back to Chekhov's grayscale if there's one that shows up in force i would say that's probably the one maybe something will break out of the north like like you were talking about but there's so few people up there maybe mm. white harbor if something happens there although there's hints that that might get zombified at some point so that maybe that won't matter but king's landing definitely is primed for fire and disease to come to it I just almost started laughing during your comment there, not because of anything you were saying, but because I saw a pun that Eliana made, which is, why didn't we call this episode Disease? Disease? Uh, yeah, I have been called that before. <laughs> oh, no. Is that your childhood nickname? Disease Elder. No, because I didn't go by. I, it would have been. It, but I didn't go by Aziz until I was 20. Uh, people uh-huh. called me Al Dorky, though. <laughs> <laughs> Why did people stop? Uh, who says they did? <laughs> Al Dorky. I think you found a new uh, Twitter handle. Maybe I should not have shared that. <laughs> what do you mean? We're such nice, kind people that definitely won't remember that and clip this. Oops. I've, I've I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> so yeah, let's go. Okay, so the shivers comes around. Interesting thing about the shivers. Well, many interesting things about it. But one of the first interesting things about it is it comes actually comes before winter by a little bit. It seems to precede winter by a, by a little, by a few months or maybe six months. It's it's not entirely clear. You never know exactly when a disease breaks out for one thing because it starts with just a couple people then. A few days later, you got, you know, dozens of people with it and you don't necessarily know exactly where it started. And that's part of the problem. When you don't know exactly where it starts, people get blamed. And the recurring theme we see 
for both the shivers and the winter fever is that the foreigners get blamed. So that's something we should talk about uh, for the Song of Ice and Fire as well. Are we going to see the foreigners getting blamed for spreading disease? The pale mare, if they blame the foreigners for spreading the pale mare, well, they're probably not wrong. <laughs> but if it's grayscale, well, Connington isn't really a foreigner, though he did get it overseas. So uh, this is the best example of this in, in Fire and Blood is Rigo Draz. Uh, to, to explain, just in case anyone doesn't recall who Rigo Draz is, he's the Pentashi master of coin for Jeharis, and he's got all kinds of Illyrio vibes, uh, especially coming from Pentos. But he is killed in the streets uh, during uh, a period of unrest that's caused by the Shivers. Feels maybe like a bit of foreshadowing. Uh, and he takes on Rigo Draz and uh, the, rea- the the tendency to blame foreigners for... Um, uh, diseases in a setting like this. Uh, we'll start with uh, Robert. Yeah, I mean, I think I would agree with everything you say there. It's and just to build on what we've been saying about the pale mare, you also, along with the the invasion fleet coming across, we also potentially will have a huge force of Dothraki coming, and it could very, very much they could easily get the blame because the you know they are known to be foreigners and and, and coming across similarly the unsullied. There are huge amounts of groups that could be blamed for bringing a disease across. Um, I th- I think the 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 interesting thing is who is doing the blaming? Is it the the powers that be trying to manipulate events and get people to hate someone, or is it just welling up from the streets? And I think that in terms of the plot, those are two quite different things. You saw in the show, Cersei very much was trying to play up on this idea of the foreigners coming over here and all the rest of it. And I think that that could easily happen in the books. Mm. And that will just be doubled if she can say, and another thing that they've brought is this horrible disease. So I could see that uh, that playing out very easily. In terms of sort of um, the the way that sort of psychologically that we Use, we would ter- use the term othering, the other people, the, the ones who aren't us. And I think Ed, that has clear overtones for what's going on here. But when uh, what's bringing the cold, the others are bringing the cold. Mm-hmm. And so there, it's, there, are, there are times when George R. R. Martin is very subtle and there are times when I think he's actually quite clear what point he's trying to make. And I think this is one of them, that it's the others, the people that we do not understand that are not us. And we can then blame them because we do not understand them that's a great answer um matt what do you think so i'm gonna try and follow that one um (laughs) so one thing that especially happened in fire and blood that happens quite often in real life is that uh, especially among people that don't understand what's happening particularly westerosi don't understand they don't germ theory they don't understand what's happening to them not only do they start blaming foreigners but like society itself starts to crumble as people are dying nobody knows why like people are shilling snake oil and they're promising like cures left and right. None of them are working. It feels hopeless. And the hopelessness really, um, I don't remember if it was the shivers or winter fever, maybe the shivers where like chaos broke out in a, in a serious way. The city basically almost yeah. burned itself down. That was the shivers. Yeah. Cause, uh, cause like the several uh, Kings guard were out, the, the city mm-hmm. watch was down. Yeah. So there was just like chaos and anarchy in King's landing. So yeah, please continue and, though. And that's the, that's the other part. Um, it's like the most effective assassination ever because it can go after the people you normally can't touch. If you're thinking about it tactically, disease hit everybody. 
Nobody's immune except for many of the Targaryens. So a disease takes hold in a city. Not only are lots of people dead, but probably a lot of the smartest people are dead. The people that maybe have some idea on what they can do. Like we saw with um, Reyna Targaryen when uh, Dragonstone got poisoned. The first person to die was the maester. And, and it was Rigo Draz. Yeah, he's the one yeah. who pointed it out. He's like, oh, that's not, that's not a disease. That's poison. <laughs> that's poison. But that's the kind of thing that can happen if you lose everybody that knows what's going on, that even has like the semblance of good ideas about what you do with disease. Because we learn later, uh, Old Town actually does have an effective strategy for quarantining disease. It's shut the gates, everybody infected stays inside, and you wait till it runs itself out. If nobody's around, it can spread. Yeah. And that's a great reference, by the way, the Old Town reference, because that's one of those things that I think is super important. It shows that George is planning this for a long time, because that reference to the Grey Plague breaking out in Old Town is in one of Ned's very early chapters. It's when he's talking to Pycelle, and Pycelle is referring that Lord Hightower is comparing him to Ty when he's saying that's a man who who does what needs to be done. Um, but along those same lines, Old Town is kind of screwed probably by the ironborn yeah. <laughs> so like and like you said those are where all the people who know how to deal with disease are if anyone has any even hope a little bit yeah even a little bit they're not exactly that great at it but the ones who know anything at all are there and they are screwed <laughs> most likely so which makes westeros by extension pretty screwed so uh let's hit a, hit a few more details um actually wait great question from marvin martin here if the worm parasites were part of the targ dna might a weaker immune system cause something like what we saw in Area to happen in Winds of Winter, A Dream of Spring? Great question. It fits in super well with what we were talking about. Yes, um, if we were just talking about Area when we talked about Area several episodes ago, we talked about how she, what the heck was she eating? She was gone for a year. So she would likely have had hunger issues as well, which would make her immune system more susceptible if that was even necessary, because she's certainly dealing with some sort of magical parasite here. Clearly, it's magical. <laughs> so, Matt, you weigh in first this time. What do you think about that question? I think that's a really, really on the nose uh, observation there. Yeah, I think that's a, a great observation. It, it's I always wonder about that because you also see the Targaryen babies that sometimes come out looking like those things. That was a connection some people made that the little worms tend to look like the abominations that are born. So maybe that's a failure in like like uh like genetics or development of somewhere along those lines and like just a breakdown of systems causes this awful truth to come forth from the beautiful elves that would make a lot of sense from george i think somewhere else in the document uh, th i think it's even in this this document i wrote that maybe what they're aiming for is for the targaryens is like you want 98 percent human and two percent dragon to <laughs> to get it right but yeah. if you if you go that but if you go overboard you end up with 10 percent dragon and then you end up with those crazy babies or, or 50 50 and you end up with like their sphinxes or something like that so get the wrong two percent yeah <laughs> so uh, robert what do you think about that that's uh that's pretty pretty deep stuff here huh it, it is actually we were um some of us uh joe magician and i as, as well as um uh, amanda disputed lands and lml were over on between two weirwoods just a couple of days talking about this very issue i, I highly recommend people after this is finished 
obviously watch everything on this wonderful channel first, but then after that, go over to Between Two Weirwoods to check out that discussion because it was really interesting. I um, I would agree. I, I would agree that um, what seemed to have been going on is uh, over in Old Valeria was some kind of genetic manipulation to try and improve the Valerians. Now, I could certainly see that if you look at what seems to have emerged in terms of the Valerians, uh, they seem to have some degree of heat resistance. They're obviously not fire resistant, but there's some degree of heat resistance going on there. There seems to be something to do with resistance from uh, from different diseases. And you could certainly see those are the kinds of things that if you were wanting to be uh, a long-lived group of people living above some volcanoes, those are the kinds of things that you would want to make yourself more like. So yes, that certainly seems to have been the case. The issue is what are the side effects of that? And I think we've certainly seen one of them in terms of uh, the, um, the the babies that are sometimes born deformed. And I think we probably see another one as a sort of a slight offshoot of it. But what happened with, I'm calling it area, but I pronounced it in a slightly different way. I, I know um, uh, when uh, she comes back, uh, she survived for, it would appear for a, a lot longer than she probably should have done given her symptoms. And that for me looked, it, there must be a reason for that and something to do with the fact that her body was okay with the heat, something to do with the fact that her body was okay with, with wormy, dragony stuff going on inside it. But that is another clear implication for me that there was something going on mixing the valerian blood with the with the um, uh, sort of the worms and then the, 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 the dragon DNA in some way. Right on. I actually have a bit of a theory on that. I put, I, I expand on this idea in the Gagasos episode, which is a, a major topic for that. Oh, there's some, a lot of people have made the, uh, at least tried to or entertain the connection between Araya's, uh, disease, the worms and Victorian's arm, which might have nothing to do with each other. But if there is a connection, my theory is that v- since there's basically no chance Makoro is, wants to help Victorian in the long run because he's obviously more supportive of Daenerys. My theory is that this is not going to be a good thing for Victorian in the long term. In the short term, it's empowering him, but fire consumes. It's not going to maybe in a little while that is either going to creep up his arm or start to weaken him. And what we may have seen from Araya is the long term of that. Like Araya may have had a similar impact early, but we see her a year later for for a while. It maybe helped her, gave her resistance. It allowed her to survive in Valyria. Something explains that, right? Uh, So maybe it, it empowered her, but eventually it just it burned itself out like fires do and it was no longer helping her and it started to destroy her. And then maybe that's what will happen to Victorian. Of course, I kind of think Victorian's going to die, you know, regular, more regular way sooner than that, but we may still see evidence of it, you know, creeping up his arm or I don't know who knows worth considering. So, uh, yeah, that's really, really, um, really fun rabbit hole to go into. And I think it affects, and I think we need to look at both sides of it as well how the others are doing some of these things. Like we hear about the others siring half human children, but I think that's a loose language. Cause I kind of doubt others are banging humans, you know, and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more like this. It's some sort of magical combination of, of combining of DNA and genetics, kind of like whatever the Targaryens did to become the Targaryens. Um, which which we don't assume was actually banging dragons, right? Well, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. I think they just explode. Oh, uh, well, they were shepherds, so they just went from, hey, well, no, never, let's not go there. Jesus. <laughs> 
Sorry, sorry, sorry. You went the other way. Oh, I went the other way. So the Shivers comes in around 59 AC. It really gets going by 60 AC. And interestingly, it had come before. That's something I thought was kind of neat that George included that it come about. He says about 100 years prior, which is about 40 years before the conquest, roughly. So we're not really told what happened that first time, Uh, although we're told that it was bad and they didn't really figure it out. So they had no idea basically what to do this time either. Like Joe said earlier, uh, Matt, rather, always, everybody does that. They call you Joe. You're used to it. Um, you do what you want, man. It's your story. <laughs> so they, uh, like you said, they listed all these different potential cures, none of which seemed to really matter. Anything from eating vegetables to raw meat to drinking blood to just things about fire. Um, people blame the rats, which is another kind of tied Illyrio um, and Rigo Draz because Illyrio talks about how the Great Plague was carried by rats and that's what killed his Sarah uh, back in the day, whenever that was. I love seeing something that drives up the price of cats. I love cats becoming more valuable. So I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> Pretty heavy price for the cats to go up. And if, if, if it takes half the population dying for cats to be treated, be more treated more importantly, maybe that's a bit of a high price to pay. But here's something I think is really neat. Let's Here's the main quote for the shivers how as far as the basic description of it and there's several things in this quote that i think are really interesting so pay attention both to the language he uses as well as the the bottom line details and we'll discuss it uh we'll discuss a lot of the different bits of this once um once i get through it okay victims would complain of being cold throw a log on the fire huddle under a blanket or a pile of hot furs some would call for hot soup mulled wine or against all reason beer Neither blankets nor soups could stay the progress of the pestilence. Soon the shivering would begin, mild at first, a trembling, a shudder, but inexorably growing worse. Goose prickles would march up and down the victims' limbs like conquering armies. By then the afflicted would be shivering so violently that their teeth would chatter and their hands and feet would begin to convulse and twitch. When the victim's lips turned blue and he began to cough up blood, the end was nigh. Once the first chill was felt, the course of the shivers was swift. Death could come within a day, and no more than one victim in every five recovered. Okay, um, so let's see. Robert, I'm going to start with you this time. Do you think that, to me, it stood out. This line really stood out. Now I want to see maybe if it's just me or if you think this line's a little funky too. Goose prickles would march up and down the victim's limbs like conquering armies. I just think that's a little odd way to write it. And, and, when, and George is obviously not prone to weird descriptions without meaning. I think if, he, if this is a weird description, which I think it is, then I think it's kind of a, a tie-in to what we're talking about. The others are kind of conquering armies, you know, et cetera. So am I reading too much into that, or do you think there's something there? No, I agree with you 100% there. I think that the 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 thing about the shivers is that they are being used here as uh, an analogy of the others and the winter more generally. When, when we read about that description in Fire and Blood about the shivers, then first of all, you get the description of winter hits the north. Then you get the description of what happens with the shivers. And then you get the line that um, as, uh, as, it, as the shivers drew to a close that winter. So it all happened during winter. So we've got immediately, we've got this connection between the shivers and uh, the winter. Um, and this, in terms of the link across to the others, it was sort of just reading the thing that you've just uh, read out now reminded me of something. 
Um, and I'll just quickly read again what you said. Victims would complain of being cold, throw a log on the fire. Um, they would call for mulled wine. Um, and of course, there would be shivers. Now, if you remember those words there, let me just read for you uh, something from the prologue of uh, book one. Um, it's, this is talking about the cold. It steals up on you quieter than will. At first you shiver and your teeth chatter, and you stamp your feet and dream of mulled wine and nice hot fires. It's, it's the same language which has been used as for cold, generally. Um, uh, and in the chapter where we're first introduced to the concept of the others, the others arrive literally a few pages later. And later on in that, it, again, as we talked about a moment ago, uh, it talks about the cold burning so what we're facing here is that the, the shivers are George giving us this idea of what the winter being synonymous with the others actually is. And, that, and they're the cold. And he's using deliberately, I think, the same language. You talk about mulled wine is just quite a random, strange thing to be talking about uh, in those two com otherwise completely separate passages. Good call. That's a very good call. Um, before I turn it over to Joe, I want to throw another quote out. Uh, actually, Joe, why don't you read this quote? Um, I've got my cursor on it. If you're in the document, you can go right to it. Um, and then give us your take on why on this comparison, which I think is really neat, how uh, this, uh, another case of similar language being used <laughs> to describe uh, the effect of cold on somebody. Sure. So this is from A Storm of Swords, Sam 2. It's about the fate of... Bannon. I guess that's how you pronounce that. I'm hoping it's like Steve Bannon. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's Bannon. Yeah. <laughs> they cover poor Bannon with a pile of furs and stoke the fire high. Yet all he could say was, I'm cold. Please. I'm so cold. Sam was trying to feed him onion broth, but he could not swallow. The broth dribbled over his lips and down his chin as fast as Sam could spoon it in. And then I have a couple other. These aren't in order. Um, there's just there's a lot of space between these quotes. But but yeah. Bannon just keeps repeating himself. He says, "I'm cold," said Bannon. "Please, I'm cold." And then again, "Cold," said Bannon weakly. "Please, I'm so cold." Sam put the bowl and spoon aside, tossed another fur across the dying man, put another stick on the fire. So it's it's now to be fair, Bannon has an injury. He's bleeding. Uh, he's wounded. So it's not just the cold here, but it goes to show that what happens when someone's weaker, the cold really hits them harder. There's no evidence he's diseased here, but the language is unmistakably similar. So one kind of idea I had here, it's it may be a bit of a balance. We've talked about why regular diseases could break out more, and I think that's very likely to happen. But also what we might be getting is this is what extreme cold is going to be like. It's not necessarily just a disease, but we haven't seen like really, really, really cold as in the kind that the wildlings talk about here. Perfect example, Tormund. Uh, Tormund says shadows with teeth, air so cold. It hurts to breathe like a knife inside your chest. It's, it's deadly. And that's sort of also reminiscent of what you were saying, Robert, about the prologue. So this is, stuff that George has planned a long time. He's really been trying to get at the description of like really extreme, like maybe magically extreme cold, the kind that people can't survive through the kind that the long night is described as having. So, but let's talk about some of the other details that come in here. Cause I think there's some other uh, bits that, that are relevant. For example, uh, 
Um, Matt, you have a lot of stuff here about um, <laughs> the blue lips, which I think is neat because the shivers describes blue lips as a symptom. Mm-hmm. Blue lips don't come up anywhere in A Song of Ice and Fire except the one really well-known spot, which is Euron and the Warlocks. It doesn't come up anywhere else, not even like vaguely. So that's very telling. So yeah, take it away. So uh, I went uh, Joe Magician MD on this. I'm not actually a doctor, but I <laughs> I, I do. Uh, I enjoy learning about like uh, plagues and how they affect history. And Aziz and I were talking about before the stream, we really like playing the games like Pandemic and Plague Inc., where you sort of have to like design a plague in order to kill a bunch of people. Anyway, so I yeah, you're either at, killing everybody or you're saving everybody. <laughs> you both sides. Two, but it, it's the two sides of the same game. Like the others and the humans. Ah, anyway. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I look through the symptoms and when you look at blue lips, blue lips is you, it doesn't have to be lips. It can be extremities. I had a friend in high school that actually had this, but it wasn't life threatening. It basically means that the blood that's getting to that area of your body there's either not enough there or it's not coming with enough oxygen, which usually points to heart or lungs as where the disease is actually centered. And if you read the rest of them, particularly the the shivering and the coughing up blood, coughing up blood, again, you're talking about the throat and the lungs. So mm-hmm. I managed to narrow it down to this is probably a bacterial pneumonia. Okay. Uh, a, a specific disease that used to be it still is pretty uh, deadly, especially among older folks, but it used to be much more plague-like. It would kill swaths of people. It, um, it starts with, usually starts around cold um, in the same way I was talking about earlier about how it makes you more susceptible. It's one of those things that kind of sneaks up on you. And especially one thing that's uh, interesting about pneumonia is it dehydrates you. So you would call for mold wine and beer and all sorts of liquids, no matter what's in them, because you just want liquid. Oh, that's so interesting. You, so it, it appears that what George is doing with these is you guys are exactly right. He is doing quite a lot of work integrating the others in with disease and showing how the cold's going to bring a lot of death to people that don't deserve it, which is kind of what disease does. But he's also clearly working with real diseases and famous ones, too. And it's um, it's it's really one of those interesting diseases, especially because there's no, there would have been no treatment at the time. What really knocked pneumonia out of the park was penicillin, and like, you know, taking care of your hands, washing everything. Like good hygiene and penicillin really take care of it. They don't have those, so this <laughs> is a disease that when it goes through a town, there's nothing you can do. So it would feel like the others in that way. It's an unstoppable horde rampaging through your town, and there's really. You're just at it. You're at its mercy, which is again, again, exactly like we see from the others. Yeah. Now you had a really interesting take here that I hadn't considered, which was the uh, related to some of the previous episodes, previous topics. For example, Alyssa Farman, um, and not not just Alyssa personally, because she didn't come back to Westeros, <clears throat> but the uh, Lady Meredith did come back to Westeros and it went not only to that, those three new islands and brought stuff from it, including animals, but they went to Sothorios, which is of course home of all the fun diseases of the world. So you suggest maybe there's a chance it could have come from there, which maybe not, you're not maybe directly suggesting that, but you're, you know, it, it raises that question. And that's a, that's a cool idea. Um, certainly a disease coming from Sothorios is hard to argue against. Yeah. <laughs> 
when, when we read through that and you're going through your Sothorios episodes yourself, you are finding that they are just chronicling every horrible disease they can find. And it would be kind of ironic if a disease from Sothorios that everyone calls the shivers and associates with winter actually came from somewhere quite hot. Yeah. <laughs> like another one that fits the description is malaria, although there's not enough mosquitoes to make that work. But it appears that George is working with these kind of very awful plagues that come from unexpected places. He even name drops the rats, which yeah. everyone knows is the responsible for the bubonic plague. So he is at least aware tangentially of the different vectors of disease, what they do and how they really affect people. That's cool. Yeah. Very well said. Do you have anything to add to that, Robert? Absolutely nothing. The The, the level of detail there is way beyond me, but quite awe-inspiring. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, we'll um, I've, let's get a, we got a super chat from LML. We'll, we'll, it's a, it's, it's a related to something we talked about a minute ago. So we'll do that. And then we'll do a bit of a mid-roll break and come back with, Plenty more of the same. We have a lot more to discuss on this topic. So LML's question uh, is a 666 Super Chat. Thanks for that. Postulation. The importance of Victarian's arm is that fire magic can cure disease. Yes, that's very important. And that someone with a magically burnt arm or hand can melt others. Very cool. So there's two different implications here, two major implications. First is the idea that kind of lost in the shuffle of Victarian's firearm is the fact that it cured his disease that he had, which might have implications for later. That's another thing that I talk about a lot in the Gagasos episode. Um, and, but something that's, I didn't talk about, I haven't really talked about at all. I don't think that we should talk about now is the second part, which he suggests that the magically burned arm can actually be used against creatures of ice and cold, which is a great idea. I never thought about that partly because I just don't see Victorian ever dealing, fighting the others, but this may not be the only burned arm we see, right? We could be seeing more of this. We could just see a lot of people given an arm like this for all we know. Makoro might just start handing these out. <laughs> probably not, but, uh, you know, we we probably shouldn't be guessing. We'll see a lot of these, but it's not, I think it's a good guess to think that we might see this again, maybe a few more times. So I'd love to see you guys weigh in on this. Uh, Robert, we'll start with you this time. Well, I mean, I think the big takeaway from me on the first part of that question is that, yes, fire can eliminate disease, but it also burns up and effectively destroys. And I think that this just weighs in again with the idea that uh, we mustn't think of fire as being the kind and fluffy good guys of this. Fire does destroy stuff just even when it's trying to clean things away. So uh, the humans you would get in the middle, they could get destroyed by ice or fire. In terms of whether or not uh, a, a magically burned arm could melt the uh, the others, well, perhaps. I think I'd need to see a little bit more thematic evidence or, or actual physical evidence of that. I would agree with you. I think Victorian's time on this world is quite limited, it has <laughs> to be said. Uh, so I don't think he's personally going to get anywhere near the others. Uh, the question, therefore, is what was the purpose of Makoro doing that? It wasn't, I think, in order to f- help him become become a great weapon to help in the wars to come. I don't think that's what, was, what it was doing. I think he was simply... Uh, marking him uh, and he was cleaning away the disease because he had a purpose in the short term. I think that's what there was. So uh, far be it from me to disagree with uh, the mighty LML. Uh, I've yet to see <laughs> the evidence uh, to suggest that it could be a burned arm could be used in the, the wars to come. 
I wouldn't say you're disagreeing. You're just, and I don't think LML is necessarily saying that's definitely what's going to happen. Is but it's a, it's a it's a theory that we don't have much evidence for, but I th- I like it as an idea. So, yeah, I wouldn't say y'all are. Oh, yeah, it's a good idea. Don't get me wrong. It's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I just haven't haven't got the evidence. I agree. I agree. That's a fair point. Um, and also, uh, Joe Magician, what do you think? What do you think about this? Uh, both parts of this. It's a it's an interesting question because I think it really gets down to the heart of what really kills the others about Valyrian steel and Lightbringer and Obsidian. Because if it's something about like the fire of it or like particularly with the flaming swords, Lightbringer itself, if it, if they can be melted, I mean, there's certainly some evidence for that in that they stay within their zone of winter or whatever it is. They there's none of them vacationing in Dorne. Basically, they stay north of the wall where it's cold. So. There could be something to that. Maybe if um, you take your arm, you grab their face, maybe they melt down. But I, I tend to think that the power that causes the others to be destroyed is more along the lines of um, uh, the Whisper Jewel idea, idea I put in my video a couple months ago, where it kind of like sucks them in, kind of like Ghostbusters. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> essentially how they, I think that's how it works. But that doesn't mean this couldn't work too i mean certainly there's the idea of the flaming sword the watchers on the wall they all have their torches and everything they burn bodies to destroy the light so i could go either way i could believe it cool all right open question we'll leave that for now okay um let's do a bit of a quick quick mid-roll break a couple shout outs and get right back to it let's say thanks to our blood rider patrons that would be uh, Vorsaki, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Arak with a Dragonbone Hilt. Kohel Koei, the called Sun Piercer, wielder of a Dragonbone Bow. And Kakavo the Tamer, wielder of the Wildfire Whip Gehenna. Also, thanks to our Northern Champions. We'll stay thematic with the shoutouts. We'll talk about the people in the North here. We got Jay Wilson, Winter's King. Sir Stephen, the Hammer of the North. Winter's King, Lord of the First Men. Lady Ar Ardross, Mother of Wolves. Sir Brian the Return, Knight of the Last House, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade, Red Song. Sir Kobe of House Stonesmith, Words are Wind, Deeds are Stone. Lady Cat Jones of the Big Pond, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade, Ginger's Honor. Jake Snow, a.k.a. Jacob Ice Eyes, the Bastard of the Last River. Lord Darren of House Rambler, the Last Hunt is Ceaseless. Lady Bobby of House Mitchell. And Bullwheel the Purple of Heavenly Mythhead House Taurus. Thanks, y'all. We really appreciate the support. And we will keep the episodes coming. Um, I don't think we have very many announcements, so uh, we can kind of burn through this quickly. Uh, if you are following our Twitch game streams, they are re-uploaded on uh, Westeros History Gaming is our secondary channel just for the of uh, the replays of the Crusader King stream. It's been going well. We reclaimed the kingdom of the Trident in our stream. That was fun. Uh, after losing it, and it's it's always fun to reclaim the crown. Okay. I don't think we have any other announcements. Um, actually, I do have one quick announcement. We, uh, As I said, I've been trying to get nailed down the schedule for future streams a little better. And with that in mind, we already have the guests and topic lined up for next week, so I'll go ahead and say that now. We are, we're going to talk about various queens and lions and dragons. I mean that in more of the thematic way, as in Targaryen's dragons, but also their dragons, but mostly the Targaryen side. And the lion side, of course, I mean Lannisters. Uh, that means we're going to talk a lot about Rhaena and uh, Alyssa Valerian and Alyssa Targaryen, especially the strong parallels between her and Tyrion, which is really fun. 
And of course, Reyna has a lot of parallels to Cersei, as well as several other characters. So that should be fun. Our guests are going to be Eliana from Girls Gone Canon and Maester Monthly, as well as Mikal Schick from Hypable.com and Vassals of Kingsgrave. And of course, Mikal also does a lot of the voices for our show. Um, the last, I think, three or four episodes in a row, she's done all the voices. So y'all know her. Okay, we got uh, a couple of super chats here before we go back to the main content from Matt Miller. Do you think after the new long night, new maesters will consider the others a legend made up by the common folk to explain the diseases? Hmm. Interesting idea. Um, Let me toss this over to uh, Matt first and let's see what you have to say. I, I don't have an immediate answer, so I'm going to slough it off to you and see if you do <laughs> while I think about mine. Well, that certainly does line up with um, conventional wisdom, even in the real world. Like I said early on, um, people do associate cold with disease, even though it doesn't actually cause it. It's always heat and moisture that does it that causes infections to grow. But uh, I think it's very possible in the past that many things get blamed on the others. Like people often say, oh, the others take you or those kind of curses and things like that. So they're a convenient bogeyman that everything gets lumped on kind of like the night King in a way where he seems to have absorbed every bad thing in the North at once, even though he probably didn't do literally everything that they say. So yeah, I could see that definitely happening. It's, it's something that happens in real life too, in uh, societies. Makes sense. What about you, Robert? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think it makes sense. Uh, it, it would have to be a long time into the future. Um, so we're talking again, another few thousand years probably but um normally the, if we're talking about the maesters the maesters are just sort of uh figures of learning and trying to understand how things work and so if we're just saying how is it that people are going to try and understand what happened before it really is a matter of is there a record of it now the the, the big difference between what happened the first with the first long night and what's going to happen with the long night coming up is that now they have got written records. The first first time around, things weren't recorded. It was just word of mouth. So it was story passed down from generation to generation to generation. And that can get changed huge amounts. Once you get things actually written down, that changes entire, the entirety of how humanity records history and in, indeed the, the, the subject of truth and what truth actually means, whether something actually happened. It mattered a lot less because uh, when you have the oral tradition, because that's more meaning more about what's the truth of the story, what is the story teaching me, um, and and what matters more after the invention of of writing and, and actual physical recording events is actually whether something actually happened. So yes, I agree theoretically, but I think there is one big difference between those two long nights and the way that they are going to be recorded by history. Well said, very well said. Also to add to that, I think that. I could be mistaken, but I don't think the maesters in the current story question the existence of the others. I think they question whether they, they, they deny that they still exist. I don't think they deny that they ever existed. So if they don't deny that they existed now, especially with what Robert's saying with records being written, the records should be better, it would be harder for them to deny them in the future, unless there's maybe some huge jump in learning or technology that could maybe, yeah, you never know. But yeah, I tend to think that they would still accept it as, as truth for Something really a lot of time and technology things would have to change for that, I think. Another super chat. Marvin Martin, could fire and ice diseases neutralize each other? I'm going to guess no, but I do. But it does raise another question, which is, 
if the others are creating diseases or spreading diseases or, or fomenting diseases through weakening everyone's immune systems and, and ability to eat and such, is it possible? Is it possible that human diseases could affect them? Uh, I don't know that they would can they cancel each other out. That might be a little too easy. But could they be affected by the pale mare or something? I kind of doubt it, but it's maybe worth considering. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you this time. <laughs> so the pale mare is dysentery. So what would the other? What would be coming out of the others at that point? Like ice chips? Yeah, yeah, exactly. About? Snow, just snow, just shooting out. Slush just <laughs> coming out. It's, it's gross. Um, I'm not even sure what their bodies are anymore. To be honest, when sand kills it, everything melts except the bones, and then those melt too. So. God help me, what kind of disease infects water, I guess? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it could be some sort of, I don't know. Robert, what do you think? I mean, it's fantasy, so George yeah, could if he wants. That's true. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to top that. I think the only things I would add to that is that George describes the others as having a different kind of life. So it, the implication is that it's uh, it's the, the, their way of living and existing is different to those of, of humans and animals that, mm-hmm. that we would understand. So that implies to me in my non-scientific way that the diseases which affect humans and mammals and all the rest of it would not affect others in the mm-hmm. same way. One other thing that I would just say, just because I want to say it so I try and remember it, is that this uh, this discussion has actually sort of sparked the thought in my mind about the uh, the fact that uh, in terms of what uh, affects different things, dragon glass seems to affect the others. Dragon glass, glass comes from sort of a fiery side. Uh, and then if we were talking a bit earlier about um, grayscale, affecting valerians and therefore fire and that comes obviously from the water side so um mm. if, if we're talking about one thing balancing out another that for me seems to be something which uh no idea when i would do it but perhaps i'd like to explore in a video some point it's not a finished idea but it is it's it's an observation yeah that's uh, that's really well said also to add to that i wonder or to expand this 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 theory or this idea so I'm kind of I think I'm agreeing with you guys that it seems kind of unlikely that the others could contract diseases. But what about the children or giants? Like imagine a giant with grayscale rampaging around like a, the equivalent of a stone man, but giant size. Like that's pretty cool and pretty f- frightening at the same time. So maybe we'll a see giant something with like dysentery. that. <laughs> oh God, that's even Wait, more what terrifying. A, what about a unicorn with grayscale? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, like one of the Skag- awesome. a Skagos unicorn. Yeah, Rick would it turn like up. diamonds because of the unicorn, <laughs> like different gems and stuff like that. I kind of hope so. That's exactly the kind of high magic this series is heading for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grayscale unicorns. <laughs> anyway, so if we go back to King's Landing, let's go back to King's Landing and talk about that. I think that in in our in history of Westeros's episode on. The Manderleys. Well, the second episode of the Manderleys, it's called Winter is Coming to White Harbor. And this is one of the topics we talk about is what's going to happen to White Harbor when no one's got food. It's already overpopulated. We've got people huddling in the streets already, as Davos notices. And then you got that very ominous, doesn't seem ominous, but if you put it in this context, in Fire and Blood, when the people of White Harbor come to ogle uh, Alisand's dragon, 
the Lord of White Harbor's like, gosh, where did all these people come from? <laughs> so to me, I'm like, uh oh, where are all those people going to eat? That's he's going to have the Lord, um, whichever Manderly is in charge, because I don't know if Wyman's going to get back to White Harbor, but and his son is traumatized by starvation. He was already faced this. He's already, I don't know if he's the right man to lead White Harbor through this when he's already faced it in his own way without the cold and it impacting everybody else. So I think that's. So I think what we're seeing here in Fire and Blood with this description of what happens to King's Landing during the Shivers is maybe also what's going to happen to King's Landing during A Song of Ice and Fire. I think it's more likely to happen to White Harbor because White Harbor is just so directly in the path of the others. And I think nearly the entire fandom predicts the others will get past the neck. And that means White Harbor's pretty screwed, um, the extension there. So... Let me get y'all's takes on uh, what you might expect to happen to White Harbor with regards to the others coming and the cold and all that. And then we'll we'll go a little further with the King's Landing comparison. So, uh, Robert, you first this time. What do you think is coming for uh, what do you think is coming for White Harbor with this with, with all this that we've come out? We got starvation. We got we got uh, disease. We got the others. What else might there be? Well, I mean, I, I, war. I mean, I, yeah. I, th- I think mm. in, any and all of the horsemen of the apocalypse will get there. Um, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the thing that I noted with, with White Harbor is that in, in both the two things, as we're talking about in Fire and Blood, uh, they are described uh, mostly in terms of the impact in the south. Yes, they're both kind of connected with winter and cold and things like that. Uh, most of the north... Doesn't really. Yes, it probably does get hit, but it's not described in such great detail as happened down south. That may well be due to, to uh, Archbishop Gildane's um, quite myopic focus on south of the neck. But um, uh, I think the implication is that the north were more ready in some way. Um, uh, they were less affected by it. Um, they had their own ways of dealing with with problems of of, uh, of overpopulation and mass starvation and all of these kind of issues. The exception was White Harbor, which is the most southerly, not just geographically, sort of. It's, I suppose it's slightly north of Greywater Watch, uh, but the, the, in terms of how it works, it's the most southerly of of the uh, uh, the settlements in the north. Uh, worshipping the seven with knights and, and and all the rest of it. So I think that that is showing that this, although it is technically in the north, it should be treated more in terms of the south, in terms of its preparedness for what is what is coming. The north, although it might well have forgotten all the things it's supposed to have remembered, the north is at least used to uh, all of the bad things. The south is a lot softer. That's a very good point. Like I, I, I use an analogy here in Atlanta, where we don't get snow very often and we do get snow, the city just has no idea what to do. We had, we had a, a major snowstorm here a few years ago and the mayor just told everyone to go home, which was a terrible idea because he's, he, there was no logistics mind. He just like announced everyone go home. So the entire city left work at the same time, the city of like six million people. So of course the traffic was insanely horrible and we can't run snow trucks here because we have reflectors on the highway. So yeah, we just don't know what to do. People just lose it. Uh, so. It makes sense that that analogy really fits because it's true in the real world. Like we have modern cities that don't know how to handle snow properly. So imagine King's Landing that has, yeah, when when have they had to deal with stuff like this? Um, so here's a quote. Uh, hey Robert, you have this quote. You can can you click on my face in the uh, in the document? Are you in the document? I'd love to have you read this one. You have such a good narrator voice. 
Uh, hang on, just give me a second. I shall just bring it up. Uh, cool. uh, this this is the Carl Corbray quote, is it? Yes. So we have this quote is Carl Corbray, who was the commander of the City Watch. He dies, and a lot of other people do, and it leads to the scene of chaos in King's Landing, which I think might be relevant to some things that we expect to see in any of the cities of Westeros during the oncoming apocalypse of, of various types. So yeah, go ahead. With their commander dead and many of the city watch stricken and shivering, the streets and alleys of King's Landing fell prey to lawlessness and license. Shops were looted, women raped, men robbed and killed for no crime but walking down the wrong street at the wrong time. And this leads it. This is when Rigo Draz, our Illyrio Mopatis uh, parallel, gets gets his uh, well comeuppance. It's not really earned. He didn't deserve it, but he they certainly thought he did. But then the people who did that to him got really got uh, Jaehaerys really went uh, Magor on them. So. They uh they didn't exactly get away with it. But okay, so here's where it gets a little uh a little sad. We have our young Daenerys, um, who just comes in one day and says, I'm cold. And that's just very sad two-word sentence there. And uh, because you obviously know what it means, given that this is it comes during this description of the shivers. And this gets super interesting because I think I, I am of two minds about this anecdote. One, because of the, the Targaryen family tree retcon that we've already discussed, we don't need to rehash that. It seems clear that George was, was making a point here. Uh, but what point is not, is not as clear. He has this character die of the shivers after with, with these very interesting line of succession questions kind of wrapped around it. And then he has Jaehaerys have this interesting, very curious line where he just jumps up and says, she needs a dragon. But, but why? And where did that idea come from? And he, and he, he thinks that this dragon would save her. If he's right, then that means Daenerys might be safe, like modern Daenerys might be safe. Because she already has a dragon. But, yeah. So this is confusing. Why didn't they think of this sooner? What what was the point? What is it supposed to do? What does bonding a dragon, how would that actually help? A lot of really curious questions here. Um, I'm not sure we have great answers, but I would love to see what you guys have to say about it. Uh, uh, Joe, you go first this time. Okay. Oof. So, yeah, that that was a very puzzling... It, it really came, like you said, out of nowhere. Which almost makes you wonder that, like... As as she was getting sick, did she do? Did he do what most people do? Did he consult? Did he go outside the maesters? Did he find someone in the occult? Did he find like something? Maybe he has a copy of Signs Importance or some Targaryen history where it says something about like dragons purify. Like uh, Danny's quote from her dream before the eggs hatch, where the the dragon breathes its flame over her and she feels like pure and healed. I, I, it's hard to say what's really going on there. Um, I don't really know what a bonding a dragon do. Maybe just because they're hot, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like 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 a, a hot water bottle on her head, just like a little dragon hatchling, just pop it right there. Um, but I agree with you. It's way more interesting how this relates to uh, our Daenerys, and in particular that she's probably going to lose at least one dragon in the Winds of Winter if we're following the show's example. So if she's 
so if we take this from old Daenerys dies because she doesn't have a dragon, our Daenerys loses one, maybe more. Does that mean she suddenly becomes vulnerable in a way she wasn't? Ooh, yeah, good question. Very good question. And especially, um, it doesn't even have to be the disease. It can just be literally about the others. Like we were talking about earlier, so many of these diseases, um, diseases are coded as the others, like Robert pointed out with the prologue. So if, if this just means as she loses her dragons, the cold and the others can get to her, I mean, that's a very logical assumption. Yes, I totally agree. Now, before I throw it over to Robert, I want to add in a little real-world detail that I meant to mention earlier when you were uh, dropping all that science on us. Something interesting about shivering as a medical concept. One of the reasons the body shivers is when your core temperature drops below a certain point. The shivering is it's it's meant to kind of create heat by forcing you to do right. that. But the very old and the very young don't shiver. So they're even more susceptible to the cold. Like babies can't shiver. They don't have that. They haven't, mm. they haven't developed that yet. And the very old sometimes lose that uh, function, that internal function of being able to shiver when you get really cold. So I, want, I, I don't assume George is aware of this, but it's well known that diseases affect the very young and the very old. And so does starvation. Obviously, any sort of health thing affects the very young and the very old more. Uh, so whether he's explicitly aware of that fact or not, it's probably going to come up, you know, because it's just such a kind of well-understood thing anyway. Yeah, I, I would say that, uh, and to add on to that, the diseases I picked, we have the second one coming up, the first one for pneumonia. I picked those because they are super well-known. Yeah. George is not a doctor. He probably, if he looked these up, it may have just been from history or WebMD or something like that. So you, we should expect him only to have surface level knowledge of what's going on, but he seems to have gotten most of it right so far. Sounds good. Okay, Robert, your takes on this. What do you think? Uh, I think, I mean, I'm not sure how much wisdom I've got on this other than to try and put the other side of this as a possibility, um, which is to say that what happened here is Jaehaerys, uh, as is the way of Targaryens, thought, well, I've got a problem I can't solve. What's the answer? Aha! It must be a dragon, and goes off to try and solve it with dragons. That's the default Targaryen answer to pretty much every problem that they ever come across. Uh, and it didn't solve it. It didn't, they didn't get to it in time. It wasn't, nothing, nothing actually worked. So uh, you could look at it the other way around and say, actually, this is showing that the dragons, that doesn't work. Now, I don't necessarily buy that, but what I'm trying to drive towards is the idea that this is probably one of those things which like all great prophecy we only understand looking back on it so it mm. could mean many things but we just don't have enough information yet and it's it's frustrating for us as analysts and as fans to be able to have to say that kind of thing but it's clear something was going on here george was trying to foreshadow something in some way but I think he deliberately gave us only enough information that we'll understand when something happens in the next couple of books. We'll go back and go, oh, yeah, that was a little bit like that time when. So <laughs> I, I think that's that's what's going to happen here. We haven't got enough information now, yeah. but we probably will be able to see what was going on later. Very good point. Yeah, that's, that's something I've been trying to say every once in a while with regards to these streams is that we – it's it's always important to remember that when we're talking about A Dance with Dragons, we've been analyzing that book for seven years. We've been talking about Game of Thrones, we've been analyzing that book for 
how long has it been now? 23 years. <laughs> and but when we're talking about fire and blood, we've been we've known about these things for two months. So it's uh, we're, we, we definitely we're more likely to miss a few things or make a mistake here and there, or to, especially things with like patterns and lang- certain ways of writing. It's going to take a little longer to catch it. I mean, this book isn't even up on the search site yet. We're all searching our Kindles and stuff to find things here. Super chat from Will Carter. Looking forward to hosting you during Con of Thrones, your friendly rental house guy. Give me a shout soon to work out details. You guys rock. Yes, thank you very much, Will. Will is putting up me and Sean in a place for Con of Thrones. Very much appreciate that, and I will contact you soon. That's great. Um, this I love this fandom. So, so generous. Well, let's talk a little bit about the disease immunity specifically, Targaryen, that, to- that, that topic um, more directly rather than we've kind of referenced it indirectly before. And then we'll talk about the winter fever, and then we'll close it out. One more announcement in here. I'm one of the other bits of scheduling I've done is we're going to do as we transition from fire and blood discussion into season eight, which will be right around March, April. We'll probably do all through March. We'll continue to do fire and blood streams. And then the first in April, somewhere around the first part of April, we'll switch over to show coverage. We're going to do because the parallel lives have been pretty popular. I'm going to do entire episodes dedicated to those. Um, where we do lots of parallel discussions, some of them large, some of them small. And uh, so that'll be towards the end of this coverage. Um, so some of these episodes, we will be, we'll still have smaller scale parallel lives comparisons. For example, I'm going to do one right now. Uh, I had planned to do two, but I wanna, I'm, I'm only going to do one this time because um, we still have a few more things to talk about. And I don't want to cut any time away from our guests here. Okay, so this one's a little tricky and it's kind of short. So the first example is very familiar. You guys know this one. It's Daenerys Targaryen as in the Mother of Dragons. This description goes, she's a princess given in marriage to a foreign kingdom by her brother. This brother was married to the ruler of Dorne's daughter, spends lots of time in a coolish place in the desert, and has concern for common born children. It looks like we got a super chat in there, so that's a perfect little segue. While y'all think about that question, we will answer this super chat. It's from Marvin Martin. If he thought dragon uh, a dragon would work, meaning Jaehaerys bonding to Daenerys, uh, a dragon bonding to Daenerys to save her from the shivers, why not make sure all his kids and future targets had a hatching bonded to them, whether they wanted one or not? That was a question asked at the beginning by someone else, and it is a very good question. And we don't have an answer. Why didn't Jaehaerys do that? Reyna, it was Reyna's idea to start putting eggs in cradles, and that seemed to have caught on. And it's also weird to me that Jaehaerys is the one that had that idea, because we're told that Alisande's the one who was the big reader. She's the one that was really into the Valyrian tomes, not Jaehaerys. So if anyone was going to have... So that just makes the whole thing a little more peculiar. Um, it might just it might just be a, a minor mistake on George's part. I hate to suggest that, because usually that's a last resort, but it is possible. Do you guys have any takes on that, on why, the, why it went that way? Why didn't they do this egg thing? Uh, sooner. Um, any thoughts on that? Uh, Matt, you go first. Hmm. I would just say one. that <laughs> it seems like it, he did it out of desperation that it, it, uh. he really panicked when Daenerys had it happen to her. Uh, like I was saying, people during plagues will turn to anything that they think will work, even if they don't think it will work because what's the alternative. Yeah. So you have nothing to lose. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. If he thinks she's dead anyway, why not try it? Okay, fair point. Yeah, I like that. Robert, do you have any, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, just just quick ones. Um, as, as I said, as Joe, Joe was adding to there, I think this was just a 
Jaehaerys suddenly thought, aha, let's try this. This must be the solution. Um, I th- the, the, the bigger question of why didn't he start trying to bond her with a dragon earlier, obviously he wasn't thinking in terms of what if there's some mysterious disease which is going to kill off my children because he didn't think that anything could kill off his children. Any disease is good. Um, so I think it was just uh, being very relaxed about the huge amount of dragons and quite how easy it was for Targaryens to bond to them because we have to remember at this time that there were lots of dragons being brought, born. All that we get all these descriptions about that they seemed like every every egg was hatching and 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 things like this. And so I think that they just got very relaxed about this idea of uh, of the the that hey they can just bond with the dragon when they get a bit older. They, we don't need to do anything special. Yeah, no rush. Sure yeah. with the dragon. Exactly. So, so that would be my take. I would say that was why they were, it didn't happen to start with. And then uh, as, as, uh, as Matt was saying just a moment ago, it's, it was a panicky measure. Hey, why not try a dragon? Dragons are always the best. <laughs> it makes sense. Okay. That's a good theory. Um, so, so yeah, back to Targaryen disease immunity for a minute. We get this, like we mentioned earlier, there's this long list of things they've never gotten. And that does explain why they weren't concerned about diseases from their perspective, why Targaryens don't have to worry about that. It's Targaryen privilege, right? And that we got, this is actually, I think this came either from Chloe or Lady Gwyn when we were originally going to talk about the Shivers weeks ago and I didn't get to it. Uh, One of them left this note that is really interesting. Daenerys at the end of A Dance with Dragons, there's a little debate whether she had a miscarriage or whether she got sick. Uh, if she got, if she can't get sick, then unless it's a magical disease, then that means that it must have been a miscarriage. That, that pushes that theory a lot stronger. If it can't, if we eliminate the disease, then we're kind of left with the miscarriage, which is, has all kinds of implications of its own that we don't really need to get into right now, but. It's very worth considering, like, oh, wow, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe that does kind of help that theory a bit. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that, or is that just uh, pretty straightforward as far as that, uh, the way it changes that theory? Seems pretty straightforward. I don't know which way it went. I don't, we do see Targaryens at Fire and Blood, though, do get sick sometimes if the disease is unknown to them. So yeah. I don't think it really solves it, but it's definitely something I did not think about. That's a good point. Cool. Robert? Yeah, I would just add to that that if we go with this uh, theory that we're talking about a little bit earlier, that the Targaryens, the Valyrians, were the result of some kind of genetic manipulation. I'm sure they didn't call it that, but some kind of genetic manipulation to mean that they were um, uh, resistant to diseases. Those would be diseases from a few hundred years ago, uh, and therefore we shouldn't necessarily mean that they're she would be immune to every disease today. So I think that that's, uh, if we follow our own logic, we have to reach the point of saying that no modern day Targaryens are not necessarily immune to every disease. That is a great point. And that's something I put in the notes because remember, this is being told to us at 60 AC. The, at the point where the, everyone is surprised that any Targaryens got in a disease, we don't know for sure that, that the bloodlines haven't, you know, become less pure or something. Uh, maybe the the drop off on magic could have impacted their ability to to resist disease if that disease resistance is in self magical in nature. Uh, and of course, there's the whole just decades of decades, generations of breeding with non Targaryens. Throwing them in the mix might have thrown things off. So yeah, lots of uh, unknown data points here. For we can't exactly hone in, but it's uh, 
it's pretty interesting, pretty cool. Um, now, Joe, you had a, a cool little bit here about uh, grayscale and how it did seem to that the the Valerians didn't really settle along the Roinar afterwards, which is a good point. They just destroyed all the cities, looted them, mm-hmm. and then said, "Yeah, we're we're not we're not sticking around here." That's I only keyed into this because of your wonderful episodes on the Roinar, which I was listening to. Oh, thanks. Uh, especially mm-hmm. on the way down to New Jersey, that really made that trip fly. But yeah, it, it, the Grayscale is also called um, sometimes Garen's Curse from Garen the Great, the last prince or king of the Roinar. And like you just said, Targaryens, as they went through Essos, they pretty much settled everywhere they conquered, except the Roin. And it's, kind a, of, it's a rich place too, it's right? It's a great place. <laughs> yeah. Why not go? Yeah. And, 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 and I don't see any reason except they were maybe actually really afraid of Grayscale and Garen's curse. And maybe it's a real thing that somehow the Roinar have had a disease that they were maybe immune to the Targaryens weren't. And that, that's a common way. These kind of things happen where people mistake natural immunity for like magic. It could be either one. Maybe there actually is a Garen's curse, but you know, there are random diseases on rivers. There's animals they probably haven't encountered before. So if, if you think of the way that they're immune to diseases normally, you can maybe think of those as like immunizations. So maybe they just didn't have this one and they never got one. And they're just like, screw it. We don't even need Roynar. We got Volantis. We're good. <laughs> yeah, I like it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so a couple of super chats and then we'll move on to cover the winter fever. A lot of the winter fever is kind of overlapped to the shivers, but it's got its, it's, got its own uh, unique aspects as well. From uh, f- from Zoom Zoom, Happy New Year, guys. Well, thank you, Zoom Zoom. Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, the year is going fantastic for us so far. Lots of lots of fun coverage of Fire and Blood and uh, lots of new things coming later in the year. Hopefully we get w- wins this year. Obviously, everyone's hoping for that. <laughs> and from Jace, I'll have to finish tonight, but I wish you all good fortune in the episodes to come. Thank you very much, Jace. We hope to have good fortune <laughs> in the episodes to come as well. Okay, so Winter Fever, it comes... About 70-some years later, it comes in late 132. Now, unlike the Shivers, which comes a little bit before winter and then winter comes after it, this is the opposite. We have winter coming, and then during winter, the winter fever breaks out. In both cases, it's pretty similar. It's about it's one kind of pretty quickly follows the others by like a matter of months. Also, very relevantly, the dance had ended the year before for all intents and purposes. There was still some aftermathy stuff going on, going on around, but there weren't any more battles. There weren't any more dragons fighting dragons, um, which is interesting because the Dance of the Dragons has a lot of parallels to the War of Five Kings, and that's also what happens in the War of Five Kings. The, this nasty civil war kind of ends. There's still some loose ends to be tied up, but for all intents and purposes, it's over, and then winter hits. <laughs> so that's, that's like right now, we have winter in the Riverlands. Jamie sees snow, all that. So Kevin in Kevin's epilogue, there's snow at King's Landing, etc. So that's all happening. So instead of uh, also kind of hit support first, in this case, it's the three sisters and it kills half the population. And just like with the Shivers, they blame the foreigners, including another Pantashi who they just try him and find him guilty. And this is after the disease has passed. But they also just really go after the Ibanese um, who... I have no idea why they blame the Ibanese in this case, but I guess it's just the same thing. Just blame the foreigners. 
It kills Lord Desmond Manderley and his firstborn Medric, well, at least his heir, Medric Manderley, which makes the heir Torin Manderley, who at the time was a regent. This also creates a, 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 an episode called The Winter of the Widows, which is more women are taking over after the dance because so many men were killed in the war. And, well, that's happening in A Song of Ice and Fire, too. We have a lot of women taking over in A Song of Ice and Fire. So that's kind of going, that, that feels like it might be sort of a parallel situation. So let's let's pause here and get some takes on that as I've been rattling off a lot of the events here for a minute. Um, Robert, what do you think about this Winter of the Widows thing? Uh, do you think that's uh, foreshadowing? Do you think it's just mild foreshadowing? Or do you think maybe there's more to it? Or just in general, what do you think? Well, I would I would try and draw out the uh, the real world historical perspective on this, which I think George was trying to do, which was uh, following World War One, there was an outbreak of flu. I think it was Spanish flu, and that actually killed more people than the entire World War had, wow. uh, and it swept through Europe. Uh, we don't think about it much because like wars are sexy and cool and all the rest of it. But they're obviously not, but you know, <laughs> they, yeah. they get they get recorded yeah. uh, in history a lot more, um, and so so that that happened, and and that devastated places that already were devastated by war, and then also um, uh, I have to admit I can't speak for your side of the Atlantic, but in terms of women's suffrage, that also came out post World War One because during the war. Um, the women stepped up into all of the jobs that the men were doing, and then not all of the men came back, and suddenly you get women who were there going, you know what, we've been saying that we deserve the vote, we've been working just as hard, we can do these things just as well, are you now not going to listen to us and actually give us the vote? And so certainly in the UK, but also in a number of other European uh, countries, you've got Big advantages in a big uh, gains in women's suffrage immediately following the war, whilst this disease was going across. So I think the historical parallel there is quite a strong one. The other thing, in terms of sort of thematically in the story, that I would say is that yes, there's a lot of crossover with the shivers, but here it draws out, as we've seen in a lot of other places, we've mentioned already in this live stream several times, is that there's this clear link that this is about being cold, but also that it burns you up. And and it's that juxtaposition of these two things that right from the very first pages of Songs of Ice and Fire, we've been shown ice and fire. They do the same thing. They both destroy. They both burn you up. That is the thing, the message that is coming out through here. So I think there's a historical thing that George is trying to just name check. And also that there's this thematic thing that is, is, is coming out here. And similarly, as I said earlier, uh, final point, similarly, as I said earlier, it seems to hit very much the same places it did before. We don't really hear much about what happens to the north, further north than uh, White Harbor. Good point. Good point. Yeah, we don't really hear about that much. We hear a lot about King's Landing. Uh, we hear just a little bit about other places. We hear that it hits Bravos, which is interesting because Bravos, being where it is, is the mo northernmost free city, not counting Lorath, but Lorath is hardly in the story at all. Actually, it is. Is it farther north? It's close. They're close. Whatever. It doesn't matter. L Lorath is hardly in the story. I don't expect it to matter that much. But Bravos is big in the story, and it's pretty close to Westeros, even if it's maybe a little farther south than Lorath. Um, but the, like you said, it spreads a lot of ports. His King's Landing around 133. And uh, Joe Magician, what do you think? So I actually have another maybe even more relevant historical example of this kind of thing. Cool. Um, around the 1200s, there was a census taken in China 
where there was 120 million people living in China. Then after the Mongol invasion and a and the outbreak of the bubonic plague across all uh, Asia and Europe, it was 65 million. Whoa! So Danny is leading these symbolic Mongols. And it seems like maybe George is going to do a similar thing. Part of the reason for what we call the Dark Ages is not only did the Mongols go everywhere, but they brought the plague with them. Not not always on purpose. They did fire corpses in the city sometimes, like we see in Marine. But that's this is a big problem with conquerors, um, especially people that are going places they've never been before. The the Dothraki and the um, and the Unsullied reaching reaching Westeros, we have no idea how those are going to mix because they never have before. Mm-hmm. Maybe the uh, Dothraki have a disease that the Westeros, we have nothing to hold back, which could very well happen. I mean, I think it's going to be grayscale just because that's name-checked quite a lot, oh, but it could wow. go the other way. I just realized how big a deal it, George makes out of how clean the Unsullied are. They take yeah. baths every day. Even when they don't have water, they bathe in sand. Mm, that's sneaky george that's gonna come up i like it that's cool and it's actually the bubonic plague is what ended the mongol empire after they conquered everything the collapse of the mongol empire the yuan dynasty in the in china is because of the bubonic plague basically it took out like we're talking about king's landing took out the legs of the entire infrastructure so that could be very well be something that's happening and the reason that the diseases keep hitting port cities um is obviously because of trade. A lot of times, the reason that plagues break out is often because of increased commerce and mixing of cultures that don't usually see each other. And Westeros, especially since the time of Jaehaerys, has been doing that in way more ways than they have before. Like, sea trade is way up. They have a lot more relationships with the other cities. Mm. So they are killing the Ebenezer and they are killing the Pentashi. And... (sighs) They're blaming the wrong people, but I don't think they usually. I don't think they're blaming the wrong vector of disease for how these plagues usually get started, even if they don't really understand it. Yeah, and it's it's also, of course, and and of course, the people bringing it don't understand it either. So it's kind of they're not doing it on purpose, and killing them doesn't stop it. So yeah, it's all just kind of pointless revenge for something that isn't really even their fault. Let's read the quote of what of what the winter fever sounds like. Robert, would you do the honors and read this quote for us? I've got it lined up for you here. The first sign of the disease was a red flush of the face, easily mistaken for the bright red cheeks that many men exhibit after exposure to the frost air of a cold winter's day. But fever followed, slight at first, but rising, ever rising. Yeah, so like the shivers, they just, no one has any idea how to deal with it. All kinds of crazy things are done in the name, like like Matt said earlier, desperate things because they they have, you know, there's nothing to lose. You may as well try something. Nothing's working. And uh, it's extreme heat at first, like a fever, which is, you know, but then it turns into shivering and complaining of cold. But the body is still hot to the touch. And by the third day, you have delirium and bloody sweats. Now, We'll talk about the bloody sweats in a minute because that's the part that's a little, uh, maybe a little magical aspect or something that George added, which, by the way, he may have done to the shivers as well with the coughing up of blood. So make sure we come back to that. But delirium is really interesting because delirium is a thing that comes, is, is not uncommon when you have hypothermia. Uh, basically, when you get super cold, uh, you can get crazy, people get crazy, like literally crazy. 
In fact, you can even do, you can see things like people taking their clothes off when they have hypothermia. So they're freezing and they get so, their brain gets so impacted by the cold and the madness that it brings on and that they actually do counterproductive things. And uh, that's something that George is probably aware of. So if you just see crazy people running around in the cold when the long night comes, well, you know why. And uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what happens to grayscale people. They're just kind of mindless, crazy people. Um, I'm not sure that that's an intended connection, but it makes me think of that since we're on the topic. And this quote, to link winter fever and the shivers together, even more explicitly, we have, not since the shivers ravaged the reign of Jaehaerys I had such a terrible pestilence been seen in the Seven Kingdoms. And it does lose, uh, it does lose strength as it moves south, which also kind of sounds like what's going to happen with the others, maybe as they get farther down Westeros. It's not quite as cold down there. So I don't know. That feels a little bit of like a parallel to me. But let's see here. Uh, Robert, um, give us your take on some of these effects and how we might see that play out or just your general take on how the winter fever maybe adds to this picture that we've been painting throughout this episode. Yeah, I think I would just... um, uh, I I would add to, to what we've said already, which is that... Um, the, in fact, no, I'll, I'll go in a slightly different route, just, just because um, uh, it's a slightly different perspective. Uh, if we look at something happening in the cold, then this is exactly the kind of the, the point I would pull out here is it's, a, it's like being exposed to a cold winter's day. So if we're saying this might happen during the winter when the others come down, actually people might well go through the first part of this without realising there's anything amiss because it's just they think it's cold and they might look normal as if you might expect somebody to look in the cold. So I think that um, the, the the key thing for this, as well as, I guess, the shivers, is that you might not know, and it might be a while before people realise actually there is a disease spreading here or that particular person has got a disease. It is quite a, uh, quite a secret, quite a hidden disease, and they both strike Quickly. So it's the kind of thing that you could easily spread without people realizing what's going on. Okay, right on. Well said. Uh, Joe Magician, let's get your take. <laughs> uh, Dr. Dr. Joe, MD. yes, it's time for Dr. It's, Joe it's to back in the house. <laughs> Actually, what Robert brings up there is a very good point. Um, like I was talking about earlier, if you've ever played the game uh, Plague Inc., which is a mobile game where you try and kill everybody, usually the way you win is you get diseases that start off with very, very mild symptoms that can be easily explained, and then you get everybody. Yeah. And that's generally how these really huge plagues start. And I have pinpointed another disease for this one. Nice. The, a disease that we probably usually only remember from when we were reading in high school, like Victorian age books, because it's largely gone away, scarlet fever. Mm. Called scarlet fever because... The symptom that most often got noticed as, oh, no, somebody has it, is they would get rashes and flushing of the face. They would turn red all over. They would get extreme fever. Um, They would get headaches. You would get delirium from all these things. You would sweat a lot. And then much like other kind of feverish uh, diseases like this, it would kill you very, very quickly. But there's an interesting thing about scarlet fever. It only killed about... 20 to 25 percent of the people so it's not something that's that would really ravage an entire city most people can actually fight it off despite the fact it is a 
huge killer in like in terms of total body counts across the world. This is another one that vaccines and modern medicine took care of. So it's something really removed from our experience. Mm. But like you were saying with like, it just looks like somebody's cold. Exactly. And it was terrifying. People got scared of the cold. They got, they didn't understand what was happening. Oh yeah. Cause yeah, that's, that's a really hard perspective to kind of imagine. Yeah. We have all the, like we were able to just look all this stuff up online. Like most of a lot of the stuff that, disease stuff, real world disease stuff we're talking about. A lot of us didn't know any of this before we researched it for this episode. And mm. it was just so easy to do. Like we just looked it up <laughs> just like that. And we have, we were able to have information at our fingertips that just has formed over centuries of really, really, really intelligent, dedicated people uh, to, to, we have this information just ready for us. And yeah, the, the, all they had was the maesters and the maesters are who know they don't even know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and then we look at the, the transmission for um, scarlet fever. It's coughing and just an airborne disease. So like a droplet disease. So somebody having a cough means you could die within five days. And we see how this reflects itself in King's landing. This is the disease that really caused King's landing to almost burn to the ground because it is so terrifying the the symptoms are so mild anybody could everybody could have it as far as you're concerned and there's no telling why people survive mm. yeah that's terrifying and of course there's so it's gonna be that's another thing we talked about there's gonna be so much death in the winds there's gonna be so much fear too there's gonna be so much just what the hell is happening to our continent <laughs> yeah much like the others i mean i don't think people will believe it I mean, how would you? There's no ravens going to random houses in the north, into cabins and little hamlets that nobody's ever going to reach. They're just going to see the winter show up and be like, oh, well, it's another shitty winter. And then the zombies start walking. Yeah. Much like these diseases attack in ways that you're used to. Very true. Yeah, people are going to be so unprepared and so just unable to handle their lack, unable to deal with their own lack of preparation. Who could prepare for that? I mean, yeah. The uh, Night's Watch isn't prepared for the others. How are the random people? Yeah, they are so unprepared. <laughs> They're really screwed, too. Speaking of people who are screwed, they really are. Uh, okay, we see. So I'll, let me let me go back to our parallel lives. I didn't I didn't uh, resolve that. Let's do that real quick. Uh, I'll repeat real quick. We had Princess given in marriage to a foreign kingdom by her brother. That was, you know, in, in Daenerys Targaryen's case, that was Viserys giving her to the Dothraki. Her brother married to ruler of Dorne's daughter. That's, again, uh, Viserys. Mer was gonna was going to be married to Arianne, and then we have spends a lot of time at a coolish place in the desert. That was Vase Toloro when Danny stumbled on that in the Red Waste, and it was a nice place for them to rest and refuel and to stop being dehydrated and living in the desert. And has concern for common-born children. Daenerys has shown that as well. She's particularly uh, sensitive about slave children and slave ho children hostages and things like that. So this was a bit of a trick question because the parallel is also Daenerys Targaryen. Daenerys Targaryen as in the one who married Maron Martell of Dorne just before the Blackfire Rebellion. She was also given in marriage to a foreign kingdom by her brother. Her brother was Daron, brother married to a ruler of Dorne's daughter. Her brother Daron was married to Mariah Martell and spends a lot of time at a coolish place in the desert. This Daenerys Targaryen is the one who had the water gardens built for her. So, you know, she spent a lot of time there. And of course, the water gardens are where she showed her concern for common born children, where she allowed children of all social classes to swim in the pools. So there you go. That's a fun one. A little tricky question there by there because they're both Daenerys. <laughs> 
All right. So last little bit of stuff. We have a couple of uh, short questions here and a couple of other quick details. <laughs> we have from Acre Frey. Have I missed the Irish wristwatches? No cheating. He says we have. You have not missed the Irish wristwatches. I forget if <laughs> I see Joe. I've already done it. I've already done it. Joe was cursing into his mic while muted. That's hilarious. You have already done it. We'll let you. We'll let you go, Pat. Yeah. Well, no, we won't. You have to do it again. <laughs> I'll do it too. Okay. Irish wristwatch. Oh, I did it fast. Okay, cool. Go ahead. I just have to say it once, right? Just once. Irish wristwatch. Okay, that's good. Good job. <laughs> okay, Robert, go for it. Irish wristwatch. Oh, is this is it. this hard? Yeah. Oh, talk oh, about here. Shade. You and your pronunciation. <laughs> Look at this guy. Look at this narrator guy over here. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So that's a uh, Robert Aker Frey, who is also a, a fellow Brit of yours. He is. He comes on this. He's uh, been a follower for a long time, as well as a patron, and he uh, does this frequently. It's become a, a bit of a recurring theme for guests as we make them say Irish wristwatch. <laughs> Eventually, we're gonna have to change it because I'm I'm getting more practice, and it's. I'm getting good at saying that. So uh, we're going to have to come up with a different tongue twister later. Uh, w- one other quick note here, a couple quick little bits. We talked about um, what Winterfell, or what the North could be like once all this hits at once. It's kind of a big topic to try to nail down all at once. But if we just mention all the different things, we got extreme cold, we got disease, we got the armies of the dead, we got lack of food, we got the all the fallout from that affecting immune systems, things like that. So that's... Uh, Really bad. Now, if we if we dialed back to the the shivers again, just for a minute, and the anarchy in King's Landing during the dance, which was, you know, quite a thing, where we had the the moon of three kings. You have Tristan Truefire and Gaiman Palehair, and uh, I forget who the third one was. But there's a quote here that I think is really interesting that also kind of maybe foreshadows the March of Winter. Uh, as George likes to sometimes show the March of Winter as an army, um, because it kind of is. Uh, the others are with Winter. And that's where that um, quote we, we referenced earlier about the shivers and the goose prickles, like conquering armies. So this one feels a little similar to me. The streets of King's Landing were empty, especially by night. The alleyways were deep in snow, and icicles hung down from the rooftops, long as spears. So just Winter and King's Landing. Let's close out with that. What we might think winter in King's Landing might look like. Uh, Robert, you go first this time. Yeah, well, I think we have to remember that um, it's not really the start of it. It's perhaps the start of our story. There was a winter in King's Landing, uh, second or winter part two in King's Landing, as Rhaegar rode off to uh, eventually get Lyanna. And we get a very similar description there of the icicles hanging down. Uh, I can't remember exactly whether they're described as, as knives or something like that, but it's, it's something along those lines. Yeah, you're right. Um, mm. So the, the clearly this is something that George R. R. Martin is trying to draw to our our attention and part of the language i think is simply to show that this is a rare thing and so we don't necessarily have it described all the time in winterfell because that's just how it is uh but in king's landing it's rare to see these things i think the thing that again i would look for there is that the streets being empty that's the thing which gets me is that you think about king's landing all through it it's been this huge uh, throbbing mass of humanity just 
everywhere you look, there are people going about their business, doing things. Uh, but one has to ask what happens if the gates are not shut a la Old Town, if uh, the others, say, came descending or you've got an invading army, you've got um, some kind of disease going through the city. I think people would abandon it. And I think that actually what you're looking at probably is not so much all of the millions of, of, uh, of people just hanging around there um, waiting to die from one thing or another. I think that they would see King's Landing turn from being a place of safety to a place of danger because that is where the disease is, that is where the war is going to be, that is where people who are going to try and claim the Iron Throne um, uh, where they would go. I'm competing with a cat again now. Uh, I love it. <laughs> uh, 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 but, but I think that for me is the thing which is, is probably the most telling detail is the emptiness of King's Landing. And uh, just uh, we, we shouldn't take too much from it for various reasons. But in the show, the one thing which always struck me about the, the way that they did Daenerys's vision in the House of the Undying was she was walking through an empty red keep. Yes. Uh, and that was the thing which really struck me was that there was no one else there. It wasn't as if at, at any other time we've seen it, there had been people messing around doing stuff. This was completely empty. Winter had come and she was there walking alone. I don't think we'll necessarily see that exact scene, but I think that that, is, that gives us a hint of this same thing we're seeing here, an empty King's Landing. Well said, very well said. And Joe, magician, you give us your take. When I think about what's going to happen with King's Landing, I do think of that that uh, simplified vision from the show about um, winter and, by the same token, death coming to King's Landing. But I, I think about um, Brennan Beefish's essays about Aegon or Phaegon's conquest that's going to come into King's Landing, how all around this city, there's probably going to be three full armies, maybe two, surrounding it, plus Cersei on the inside, plus Wildfire, plus Vector's disease, plus hunger. All these things are adding up to maybe what Ares always wanted, the entire city to literally go up. Because it, it, it really seems like a bad time to be in King's Landing. Especially, I mean, like, imagine if you're the people of King's Landing, right? King's Landing has been sacked a few times before. But nobody's taken Storm's End. If Aegon takes Storm's End and then comes to King's Landing, they're going to put the fear of the gods in those people. There's no telling what they may do. We may end up with another situation where Cersei has locked herself in Mager's hold fast and pulled up everything. And as a last <laughs> resort, she lights the wildfire in order to maybe free herself. I and like that, it. That could, that could be a very terrifying future. And George is telling us that panic in the city is very easy to happen, especially... Uh, this was something that we were talking about, Aziz, Laris and Varys. Yeah. Varys is active. And there's a there's a stark difference between King's Landing before Laris and after. Yeah, it's only it's it's hard to say just how much he messed with things and how much he played both sides, but it seems like it was a lot. And as what well, we saw Varys when Varys was in King's Landing, he caused riots, he did all sorts of stuff, but this is his chosen candidate, so he might do mm -hmm. the opposite. We might have just things just, somehow, things are just falling into place for, for young Grimm <laughs> so well. It's amazing how all, everything is just working out. Like, Larys Strong, does 
sauntering into the throne room, being like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" You yeah. thought I was like, gone. Wait, hey. how is he doing there? Yeah, that was like that was one of the major changes from from that stuff that was not in the previous, you know, Princess and the Queen in the World of Ice and Fire. That there was a lot more about Larry Strong, and that was that was really fun to read. So yeah, we'll be covering him in a future stream for sure. That would be a very good one. And one um one further thing that's probably going to happen is like I was talking about with um Garen's curse and the Targaryens and Grayscale. When you're facing off against these kind of people, you really don't beat them in the field, especially as Daenerys starts coming um, to Westeros with her dragons and her and her armies. The way that people have normally beaten the Targaryens and the Valyrians is basically Dornish tactics, assassination, running and hiding, never presenting an enemy. So even if Danny takes King's Landing... George has already used the idea of flinging corpse bodies into a city in order to take down a superior enemy that you can't touch. Mm. I mean, it may happen to Danny again. Again, people are throwing corpse bodies at her or grayscale bodies, that kind of thing. She'll be like, I have had just about enough of this. <laughs> and then the, the, the dragons grab another one out of the sky and they're like, ooh, tasty. But it's like, I don't know, maybe... They haven't had enough of it. They're like, yeah, this is food. Well, they, they <laughs> eat bloody flux corpses. I don't know what happens if they eat dragons, if they eat grayscale corpses Ooh. because of the, like we were talking about, the Roinar. Can you imagine a grayscale dragon? Like, what is that? That's terrifying, right? Jeez, just a shot. Yeah, it kind of is. But what's that? That's that yeah. quote. Uh, a great beast took wing, breathing shadow fire. Eh? Eh? Yeah. From uh, beast waking from stone from the from uh, the vision summer's vision um, of Winterfell falling apart. Yeah, that's cool. Um, OK, well, I think that just about does it. Uh, I see a lot of people in the chat are are kind of weighing in. The, the overall mood seems to be that people aren't very positive about are very uh, optimistic about King's Landing. <laughs> no. <laughs> a lot of people are like, yeah, King's Landing is doomed. There won't some people are going as far as to say there won't be a King's Landing afterwards, especially if the wildfire thing happens or It's I mean, it's a very recent city. Yeah. It wouldn't be so, that uh, that uncommon. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it's only been 300ish years. Yeah, a little less, but Yeah. Uh okay, cool. Well, let's let's do our um outro stuff. Thanks very much to Ashea for running production and uh, thanks very much to everyone who came and watched live. Thanks to everybody who watches the replay or catches the edited audio podcast version that we put up on Acast. Let's us have our guests tell everybody where to find them again and talk about your current projects. Uh, Joe Magician, you go first. Tell everybody where to find you and what you're working on. All right, everybody have a few minutes to settle in as I uh, say, <laughs> I say everything. Uh, no, this, this will be a short one. Um, you can check out on my channel. Uh, I recently did a teaser stream. That was a lot of fun uh, where we talked about Carrot Brand. Aziz was on there. He showed up right at the end as tired as I've ever seen him, but still enthusiastic. <laughs> I was um, very silly. Yep. That's, that's, that's what it comes to you. When I'm tired, I'm silly as hell. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, yeah. And, 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 then, and uh, when I'm not, sorry. <laughs> you're just silly all the time. You're yeah, just punny. Yeah. <laughs> I did two recent uh, collaborations with uh, Robert, kind of. This has been the week of me and Robert. The first one was on his channel talking about the uh, Game of Thrones prologue. That was pretty good. And then on uh, LML's Between Two Weirwoods channel, we talked about the mechanisms of magic. Upcoming on my channel, I am putting the finishing touches on my uh, Targaryen prophecy and dreams and pyres. I'm calling it Pyres and Blood at the moment. <laughs> just because I like the title. I might keep it just because it's nice and punny. Oh, it made Aziz laugh. So I, vote, keep I it. vote keep that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, and then there will be a stream. It's planned for mon this coming Monday with uh, Bookshelf Stud and Poor Quentin. Uh, nice. Exact time. 
we'll get that out there. Uh, Maester Monthly, of course, you can always catch me on. Did a recent episode with Bookshelf Stud and Eliana. And, oh, and uh, Watchers on the Wall. Uh, as the show gets closer, oh, their uh, coverage has been ramping up. Expect to see more from me there. And, of course, Con of Thrones. Some big news is coming out soon, so keep your eyes out for that. Oh, cool. Big news for Con of Thrones. Well, we will be at Con of Thrones, although we're not aware of what this big news is, so that's cool. We're, we're uh... See, you're not on the inside, Aziz. No, we're not. Not there. <laughs> not, not that inside, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so, oh, uh, sorry, one more thing. I just want to say Ashe is the best. Thank you. Correct. Very true. Very correct. And worth saying often and loudly. Ashe is the best. Uh, Robert, tell us where to find you and what you're working on and all that good stuff. Well, you can find me saying that Ashe is the best. And <laughs> uh, in terms of my channel, um, it is In Deep Geek. And uh, if you have been following, I stopped it for a few weeks while I was doing some Fire and Blood stuff. But if you were following my series of videos that I was doing on uh, setting out what I think is happening in or happened in the Tony at Harren Hall, Robert's Rebellion, the Tower of Joy. Uh, I literally just before this, uh, we went live here, I uploaded the latest one in that series, which is looking at whether uh, Rhaegar and Leanne are married in the books. Mm. Does it matter? And also it kind of like went a little bit all over the place, that video. And I also covered uh, what on earth were they doing for a year, apart from the obvious. What what were Rhaegar and Lyanna actually up to? They kind of disappeared for so long. What, what was going on there? Uh, and also, uh, how was it that Ned found the Tower of Joy so easily? What was going on there as well? So it kind of like moved around a little bit, that video. But if you're at all interested in that, that's now on my channel in Deep Geek. And also, if you like audiobooks and you love classic science fiction and fantasy, check out my second channel, uh, The Well-Told Tale. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Please, everybody, do all that. Please subscribe and follow to both In Deep Geek and Joe Magician. Also, shout out to Girls Gone Canon, who uh, Shea did a guest appearance on their show recently discussing Sansa. That would have been, I believe, uh, Sansa 4. Is that right? Elaine 2. Elaine 2, which is Sansa 4, right? The equivalent of yes that's right so that's feast for crows of course and that's a great episode so check that out as well and let's do our patron shout outs and say good night everybody thanks for coming valar reread us i hope you guys who are still making it through fire and blood continue to make progress because we are we're still fairly early in the book the shivers is 60 ac which is pretty early jaharis's reign we obviously skipped ahead for the winter fever but we're not skipping everything in between that of course so we'll be back, like I said, next week with Eliana and Nicole to talk about queens and lions and dragons and such. And we'll have more of our schedule announced as we nail down the guests. I've got all the topics written out pretty much, so that's cool. I'm excited to share that with you guys, but it would be a little premature at this point. But soon. So thanks to Lord Mark of House Joseph, the snow and Winterfell rider of Maslacartho, a white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons. Jinx of House Lier, Green Queen of the Rainwood, rumored daughter of a woods witch, rider of Erogenia, a sylphic dra- albino dragon with amethyst eyes and opalescent wings. The mysterious BR is our hand of the king. The smiling wolf is Lord Stephen Stark of the Broken Tower, soldier, scholar, philosopher, diplomat, hand of Queen Ashea, who is known as the best. Lady Suzanne Sinistral is the learned, holder of the left-handed Valyrian shears called Penance and hand of the beard. Lord Jim, the fortuitous of wars and politics of ice and fire, is warden of the West. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of the Sith Chiliad and Lord of the East. Cabethian Frozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. 
Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones and the Narrow Sea, Commander of the Royal Fleet, consisting of the Narrow Fleet led by Flagship Caraxes and the Bloodstone Fleet led by Flagship Prince Damon. Our small council includes Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, uh, Master of Whispers. We actually have a new Master of Whispers now, but we haven't gotten his name in there yet, so we'll get that soon. We have Fabian Kester, Lord of Green Shield and Bastard of Green Shield, Master of Coin. Lord Daniel the Sneaky Russian, Master of Ships. Grand Maester Via James. Lord Benjamin of House Hornwood, Master of Laws. Lady Dire Liz of Castle Maki, the Alpha Patron. Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone. Lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Bread Fort. Alicia Everlasting of the Green Blood is Lady of Desert Rose. Lord Ryan is of Castle Stonegate, Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is uh, leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is wielder of the Blurring Steel Machete Everglade. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Lord Bemi Snuggle Bunny is... Whoops. <laughs> Guardian of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood, dual-wielding the Blurian Short Sword's Glorious Morning and Little White... Little Light Wise. He's actually the Ranger Guardian. He has an updated title that I appeared to have not updated properly, so apologies for that. We'll get that right next time. Brian the Defender, Lord of the Spear Fort and the Freelands, is last scion of Clan McCulloch, Strength and Courage. The Bastard of the Wolfswood, First Forester of the Old Gods, Sworn to House Iron Werewood, Listen for the Silence. Connor the Dungeon Master is Lord of Catamount Keep and Guardian of the Smoky Mountain Pass. Lady Baelish is Dark Widow of Heron Hall. Lord Sidney Jesse is the Fallborn, Lord of Blue Spring. Nevesta the Twin-Hearted is a Spectre Skin Changer and Holder of Castle Carahel. Sir Valentin of House to Jen is creator of the Game of Predictions, Free Game of Thrones Predictions and Futures Market. Lady Liana Kelly of Wolf Island is Protectress of the Steelhold. Casey Stark is of House Acres. Lady Kay of House Archer is Lady of Earth Dog Hall, Huntress of the Wolfswood, and Guardian of Maddie Squirrel's Bane, the Mighty Direweedy. Uh, because we've had a lot of changes with Patreon titles lately, we've had a, a, a lot of new people come in. As you can see there with uh, Lord Bemmy Snuggle Bunny, some of these titles haven't been updated yet on our website. That's that's my fault. Um, a lot of these came in just the last couple of days, though, and sometimes I'm a, I'm a little behind on these, but we'll get them all straight by the next episode. No, no doubt, no worries. King's Justice is Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Our Queen's High Council includes Lady Maya Emerald Eyes, Voice of House Swan, Mistress of Whispers, Verbea Star Eyes, Lady of Waves, and Mistress of Ships, Captain of the Iron Shadow Cat. In the shadows we bear our claws. And Grand Maester M. Elizabeth is middle daughter of Liana Mormont, First Lady to forge both the Silver and Valyrian Steel Link. And we have our King's Guard. Led by Lady R- Miriam Roman, we have Sir Dollars D, longest tenured White Sword, Willa Crowsbane, Guardian of White Tree, Lady First Lady of the Free Folk, Sir Dean the White, Knight of the Black Star. And we have a couple of new signups there as well, whose nicknames are coming. Gotta get my creative n- naming uh, hat on. Lord Captain Commander Hama Helmuth, the Sellsword Sentinel, leads our Queen's Guard with Alexander of House Atreides from the Seat of Dune. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Becca the Bard, Songbird of the North. Michonne the Melodious, Star of Old Town, Minds Over Masters. Sir Rambo, Knight of House Ganon, First Blood. Sir Leon of House Walker, wielder of the twin Valyrian Steel Blades, Fire and Ice, and the Werewood Bow, Rain. Amber the Adamant, the Knight of the Mist and Mother of Squids. We have Lord Commander George the Golden, Sir Joshua Oakhart, the White Oak. Lady Rita of the Copperman, the Unbound, Dance the Fervor. 
Sir Jeff of the AC, Warden of Wielder of Triad, the multifaceted beard of platinum red and brown. Stay frosty. Sir Tim Corgile, Mad Boy of the Western Desert. Queen Helena von Landstein, partying like it's 1999 since 1980-something, a kingdom for a drink. That is our beard guard. And last but not least, we have our History of Westeros Night's Watch, led by Lord Commander Benjamin Umber, the silent giant, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Greatsword Winter's Kiss. First Ranger Zach Nefane Four Feathers, fastest bow in the watch. First Builder Magor Snow, aka Magor the Cool, the Fire in the Snow. And last but not least, First Steward Sir Jurion of the Torrentine, called Palewind. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, everybody, for catching the replay. Big thanks to our guests, and big thanks to Ashea. We'll see you all next time. Valar Reredus.